Oh, hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 321, joining us this week for the very first time. Uh, new GFOP, Ed Harris, reporter for the Observer Dispatch, joins us for a great conversation uh, about the process of becoming a journalist. We talk a little bit about metal, because we both like metal, apparently. Uh, also this week, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that's been going on around here. COVID numbers in Utica, the population rise in Utica, a little entertainment news, a little sports news, uh, history lessons. We're going to go back to the year 1995, and we're going to discuss the fall of hard seltzers? Question mark? I mean, not really, but maybe. Uh, all of this, folks, and so much more on another episode of the Uticast. And as always, we are happy to have you As I mentioned, first time guest to the pod, a rare first time guest over the last few weeks. Uh, reporter for the Observer Dispatch, our good friend Ed Harris. Yes, mm -hmm. I did talk to him about the fact that he shares a name with a famous actor. We got that out of the way very quickly. And in it's got to be so annoying when you're somebody who like shares a name with somebody famous, and everybody's like, "Oh, Ed Harris, oh, I loved you in The Rock," and you're like, "Yeah, man, thank you." Well, I did the thing. I, I always do this when this this happens occasionally. In, in general conversation, you run across somebody who has the same name as somebody who's famous. And I think it's happened on this show before because I feel like I've had this conversation with somebody before. Uh, but I got it out of the way early. And then right at the end, I asked him another Ed Harris question. Just to, just to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to. That, that's uh, right. that's my like, setup. What's your favorite Ed Harris movie? I think he said The Rock. Uh, it has to be. Now, my question is, if there was an actor named Sam Famolaro, I don't necessarily know that I would be supportive of him. You would have to see. You'd, have, you'd hold him to a little bit of a higher standard. <laughs> higher standard, you know what I mean? Well, you have your name is more common than mine, so this is probably something that you've come to terms with occasionally, right? Other Kevin Sullivans you've met. I mean, there's you know very the wrestler, well there's right, a horrible they, yeah. wrestler. Yeah, um, I've never run across... My, I mean, my last name is super common, but I've never run across somebody with my same first name and last name. Never in real life, but I feel like every now and then... I'm actually... I was added to a group chat on Instagram like two years ago of, of, of Kevin Sullivan's. There's like 21 of them all over you know, the world or country or whatever. Some kid just started. He's like, hey, what's up, guys? And so every once in a while, people are like, oh, Merry Christmas. But there's only Kevin Sullivan's that I know. So it's funny that we're talking about this. I did not mean to get here, but during the conversation I had during this week with Ed, I mentioned you know, there are not that many Sam Famolaros in the world. There's really only like... It's not that common of a name, and all the Sam Famolaros sure. I know are essentially within like this twelve-mile mm -hmm. radius of Utica. the Famolaro extended universe. The Famolaro extended universe, right? So by default, by doing this podcast and just sort of being in Maiden Utica and doing Handshake City stuff, I am by default the most searchable Sam Famolaro on Google. Mm. Like, there's really not. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just, yeah. if you type in Sam Famolaro on Google, I'm almost sure you're going to get me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, or this show, probably more than anything else. Yeah. Which is a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure. I gotta, I gotta keep checking every couple of <laughs> years. A lot of pressure. You gotta start Googling yourself, seeing what's going on. No, with Kevin Sullivan, though, that's a name that that's I me. feel like 
pops up sometimes and throws me off. Like I'll read an article. Hmm, it's like, ah, oh, producer Kevin Sullivan. I'm like, wait, what? There's uh there's that middling uh air quotes journalist, uh Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan. Which yeah, is yeah. my brother's name and I'll see him on a lot of stuff where I'll see like different, you know, things popping up or a headline or whatever and I'll catch that from time to time. Oh God, there was some there's some guy on Twitter who this happens to all the time and I forget he was like um I think it was the name Brandon Rogers, like the the soccer Coach Brandon Rogers got mm-hmm. fired, and then the baseball player got chastised for three days. Like, I'm not the soccer coach. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. Uh, so, yeah, great conversations, though, with Ed Harris today. Mm-hmm. So, enjoy our conversation. Nice- Better than this one. Better than this one. Better than this uh, one. <laughs> a nice long conversation. Actually, we had a really nice long conversation with Ed. Mm-hmm. And, again, as I've mentioned, that seems to be where the flow of the show has been going lately. It, and always. I mean, yeah. literally, I, I, you could go back and pull random episode 111 and you would be preambling about how the interview is long. The conversation has always been the centerpiece, I feel like. Yeah, but I think for me now, especially with things that are going on, uh, it's become vital now that the interview becomes like the main crux of the show mm. and good, right? Mm. Uh, that just seems how it feels to me lately. And I've been lucky that the last few weeks we've had some really nice, long, engaging interviews. And I shout out to Ed and everybody else who's been on over the last... A uh, few weeks. Kev, we were talking about this before we got on the air, and I started yeah. thinking about it. I was mentioning things that I think look cool on other people that don't look good on me, mm. and I was talking about Converse sneakers. Right. I was thinking about it afterwards. I also think, like, regular basketball sneakers. Like, if someone's got Jordans on, I think they're cool, but I don't think I look good in Jordans. I think I look like a poser. Yeah, I see what you mean. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. But no, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because I, I would be in the same boat with like a lot of like basketball-style sneakers and stuff. You're really making a, a strong statement if you come out here with like a pair of Jordan 4s, like fresh new Jordan 4s. That's like the main part of your outfit if you wear it. Well, and it's also like you get I, you, you get older, right? Like you're not 25 anymore. Like when you're 24, 25, some, some stuff like that is a little different where it's like now, yeah, I do kind of feel silly. Well, I think it's a fashion thing. When I was 24, 25, the sneaker was part of the ensemble. Now my sneaker is just sort of, like, I hope it matches my outfit, but, like, not really. I, I don't need the sneaker being the focal point of what I'm mm. wearing if I have, like, a you know, dress shirt or whatever on. I see. I see. You're trying to, trying to draw as much attention as you can to the pants. To the pants. Yes, I get it's it. true. I get it. Uh, speaking of which, I was just talking to a good friend of ours who was doing... I've noticed a lot of friends of mine recently have been getting new jobs, applying for new jobs, going through that process. I just went through it. Yeah, the COVID world really shifted. Everybody, yeah. a lot of people making shifts. A lot of people making shifts, and... Uh, we had a discussion with a friend of ours who was just at the studio about what you wear for an interview. And he'd gone in for an interview. He was wearing the full dress shirt, slacks. I think he had a jacket, too. He didn't wear it mm. in the house. No, he didn't? He didn't have a jacket. He didn't have a jacket. Just, uh, just, just a button-down mm. shirt. And uh... When's the last time you've gone to, like, a job interview, job interview? Like, sit down, talk to somebody? Um, Like, interview, interview? It's been probably since my time at Saranac, I would say. Yeah, everything else is just like, yeah, you, like, you know, like, when I was working at, like, the bar doing different stuff like that, yeah, it's yeah. mostly just like, hey, I know you, and can have a conversation. But that was the last time I went in, like... Full, full bore. Lot. Yeah, yeah, full yeah, bore. Yeah. I would say for me, recently I went in. Certainly. You know, mm-hmm. and education, when you're working in the education field, is kind of a weird place to be, right? Mm. If I'm going in for the interview, right. you want to dress up. You want to look good. Yeah. But you also, in my mind at least, you don't want to dress unrealistically, right? Like I had someone who's like, you should wear a suit and tie to your interview. And I was like, I don't wear a suit and tie when I'm in the classroom. I don't teach in a suit. And I wear like a dress shirt and a cardigan sometimes or... Yeah. You know, I, I, I have a particular style, but it's not mm. suit and tie. Mm. So my argument is like, why would I set the expectation that this is what I'm going to look like all the time? Mm-hmm. Right? That being said, I don't want to go in there looking like a total schmuck. I didn't 
wear a short sleeve shirt. I don't need them knowing I have tons of tattoos and stuff just yet. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's like a fine line. Like I guess like, do you want to be overdressed or do you want to dress accordingly when you go in? I mean, you would. I'm I am always of the mindset you're better off doing more than less when it goes to stuff like a job interview. Like I. A tie is not as hard of a defining line for me, but, like, I grew up with ties, like, going to Catholic yeah. school wearing ties every day. Like, I would just, I would put a tie on by default because I wouldn't think not to for something like that. Like, if I'm wearing, like, you know, regular slacks and I've got a tucked in, button down shirt, it, it's almost, like, second nature to grab a right, tie and put right, it on. Right. And it doesn't mean you wear a full suit, you wear something, I mean, if you're really getting into, like, the nuts and bolts, but you wear something more like a Dockers or Chinos as yeah. pants as opposed to, like, you know linen or whatever kind of like mm-hmm. suit suit pants like you would wear to a wedding but yeah tie you can do ties are really casual but also the culture has definitely shifted away from ties compared to like our parents generation here's something i never thought i would do mm. i've gotten to a point now where i will wear a dress shirt or polo shirt with the jacket but no tie mm. there's something i didn't i wouldn't have done as go. a younger man i don't know if even that's like a quality look anymore <laughs> yeah you can do that Never go wrong throwing on a suit jacket. This Honestly, is... if you have like a well-fitting suit jacket, you wear it, wear it anywhere because you'll always look good. This is my anal retentive problem. I think it's just me, and I'm sure there are other men who are like this. I've talked to at least one person I know who's like this. I don't like anything super tight around my neck. I feel uh-huh. like if I wear a tie, even to like a wedding, mm-hmm. even to like a funeral, whatever, the second all the actual proceedings are done, that tie's loosened. That top button's gone. Right? I, I'm not wearing the tight the tight Full button. To here's full tie. so. Here's a solution for you. Never button the top button. People, never. People think it looks sloppy though. Never. They say that. No, you gotta. You, you keep the tie up tight enough. You yeah, keep yeah. it covered, but never button it. You know, like as a person who, if I want a dress shirt that properly buttons yep. around my neck, the body is gonna be enough to fit like me and my brother in. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. And so that's always uh, for me when I'm going. When we're doing dress shirts. It's always the war between how does it fit at the neck. How is the length and how long are the sleeves is always mm. the battle. You know what I mean? So, like, I got, you know, really long arms and everything. That's not even a tall guy problem, though. Because for me, too, if I go mm-hmm. get a dress shirt that fits me around the neck accordingly, mm-hmm. it's super wide. I look like I'm mm-hmm. David Byrne in, like, 1988 with this big mm-hmm. square shirt on. Then I got to tuck everything in. And then you got to, like, tuck it in and also, like, tighten it while you tuck it in. You're, like, scrunching it up it's in tough. the back. That's no good. It's no good. Uh, all right, men's fashion talk over for this week. Uh, <laughs> what so, are we? Are we recording? Is that we a are, podcast? We... <laughs> What's going on here? What's going uh, on? I'm drinking coffee. You know, it's early. It's very it's, early. It's, for we're us. not normally yeah. casting at this time. No, it's very early in the day. And I also, before we get into the other news, I want to talk about. I do have a slightly sad piece of news here. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. Uh, unsurprisingly, because it took us a week and a half to get together and figure it out. Heather has mentioned that she is very busy with family stuff and everything that's going on, mm-hmm. uh, and she will not be joining us for the foreseeable future. Mm. That being said, I've made it very clear to her that she is welcome here anytime, anytime, whether anytime, she wants to just pop in or be an interview or just come and hang out or even mm-hmm. not even be in the podcast. So Heather is never too far away. So yeah, shout yeah. outs to Heather. You're always welcome back here, whatever you want. We love you. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever you want to come back on, you have... Free reign whenever you like. It is your show. It is your show. It is your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. That's all, sort of, it's pretty all the quick stuff I had today. Uh, I guess let's get into some news. There is some major news this week. Uh, and let's start with some local stuff. This is uh, some serious local news. It is official this week. Oneida County has now reached high transmission levels on the CDC map, identifying locations with transmission levels of COVID-19. Uh, at this time, Nevada County is not instituting any community-wide mandates relating to the CDC recommendations. Uh, they are recommending that we should be back to wearing masks 
indoors while in public, even if we're fully vaccinated. Mm. So that announcement's come out today. I'm curious to see how long it takes for people to get back to doing this. Mm. Uh, I know that I've forgotten to bring my mask to places a couple times recently because I got so used to not wearing it. I've had to like start bringing masks back into my car. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, man, I sad to see. Not surprising again. I guess we're getting to the end of summer. It's there's a lot of controversy, quote unquote, about all this, right? Sure. It's not surprising the numbers are going up at the end of summer. Um, So just be careful, you know. Do your best to keep safe if you're not vaccinated. Think about getting vaccinated. It is wild, though, because you see lots of people talking about they're unsure about the vaccinations and stuff. As guys who've gotten the vaccinations, I really do feel less concerned when I'm out in public because of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I've grown feathers, and I can't (laughs) stop spending money with Microsoft, Um, you know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But other than that, Uh, what a world. uh, Our community has worked very hard over the last uh, 18 weeks. Pardon me, I lost my article here. Communities worked very hard over the last 17 months to fight this virus. We've all made sacrifices to help protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our neighbors. We now have the key to ending this once and for all, the vaccine. We need those who are unvaccinated and have been hesitant to get the vaccine to get it immediately, says United County Executive Anthony Pacenti Jr. So there mm. you go. Uh, also, local news this week, uh, a little bit less dour. Uh, United County's population went down over the last decade, according to the most recent census results, but the city of Utica's population grew by more than mm-hmm. 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. Increase in Utica's population could be a sign that people are moving to more urban areas where there are more job opportunities. Uh, Mayor Rob Palmieri says people are drawn to Utica because of its diversity. It's a great place to live, the quality of life here. We're a melting pot. We're diverse. We represent what the world should be, mm. says Palmieri. Uh, so, yeah, population's up. We're up to 65,000 people now. When's this guy done? Soon, I would imagine. Is he going to run again? No, who knows? I uh, mean, who knows? It's a great, I mean, I, I don't think he's wrong. I think this particular yeah, quote yeah, is yeah, correct, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, like, just, I, like, as I think about it, it's just like, if you can remember, I'm like, oh, might still? It's been a, 2009 was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was, 2009 was a long time uh, ago. 2020 census showed that Oneida County's entire population dropped about mm. 1.2% uh, to 232,000 people in mm. the county. Seems like a, I guess that's about the right. I feel like the number would have been bigger if you said how many people live in Oneida County. But I guess, mm. I guess not. That sounds about right. Yeah, no, because if you think about it with Utica being like the largest set of it in Utica's well, maybe like 60, right? Inside city 65, limits or something yeah. like that. 60, yeah. 65, and that's the largest. Yeah, it's true. Think about it, you know what I mean? Rome County? Rome, Rome County? Uh, is that Oneida County? I'm feeling like an idiot if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, 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 yeah because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it must be. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get away from some local news and let's get into some entertainment news. Special shout out to Sylvester Stallone, who earlier mm-hmm. this week, uh, with his role in the movie Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, Squad yeah, yeah. Uh, he became the first actor to get a number one movie in six straight decades. What a what a what a number. Good for him. Uh, in 1970, it was Rocky. In 1980, it was both Rocky and Rambo First Blood. Mm-hmm. In 1990, it was the movie Cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. In, movie, in 2000, it was the movie Driven. How did that become the number one movie in America? I don't, know. I don't think I even know what that is. He was, he was like a race car driver, yeah. I remember. Uh, the Expendables in 2010, I have to admit, I paid money to see that in a theater. It was fine. Mm. Uh, and The Suicide Squad, which I enjoyed. Which I thought was pretty good, by the way. That was I thought I was uh, pleasantly, very pleasantly surprised. You know... There's a lot of talk. People were saying about how this movie didn't make any money. It shouldn't, you know, it was kind of a bomb. Honestly, I think it's pretty impressive that you took a franchise that was not that old, mm-hmm. rebooted it, a movie that nobody really liked, 
yeah, and yeah. turned it into a pretty well received critical and mm-hmm. successful Just movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and also, I mean, you know, my long-standing position. I don't. I don't care if the no, if right. the movie makes money. You know what I mean? I don't care if anybody went to see it. I saw it. That's it. You know what I mean? I saw no, it. I right. liked it. That's good. You're right. That's good. Let them not make money. It doesn't bother me. It's not my bottom line. Yeah, good for old Sly. Old Sly. I didn't even know. I mean, I knew it because you had said it when I saw the movie. Um, I didn't register that as him the whole movie doing the voice of that shark or whatever. If I had not been told beforehand, I would not probably have picked it up. Sounded like somebody else. I can't remember who I was watching it, man. Something like that. Well, I mean, it is James Gunn, so he's like, I did this with Vin Diesel. I can probably do it with Suicide Squad was basically just like Guardians of the Galaxy, but R-rated, a little more gritty and everything. Uh, weird piece of entertainment news for you guys today. Uh, I don't know if you guys go to the Ringer website ever. I enjoy their content most of the time. This week was their Nickelodeon throwback week. So if you grew up in a certain area, there's a lot of really good Nickelodeon-based content on there this week. One thing that they did was they did the best Nickelodeon character bracket. Mm. Kevin, I will give you the final four if you want. Okay. Uh, in the one finals matchup, it was the number one seed SpongeBob SquarePants versus mm-hmm. the other number one seed Arnold from mm-hmm. Hey Arnold. And they were competing against Doug mm-hmm. and Tommy Pickles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy and SpongeBob made it to the final round, and the winner was SpongeBob. That's the only one it could ever be. So I think it's interesting if you look at the four final names in here: Doug, Tommy Pickles, uh, Arnold, and SpongeBob. Three of them feel like they're from our generation, and SpongeBob feels like the generation after. He, it, not, it wasn't even after. It was right on the edge. Right on the edge. People, people of our age, I think, missed the SpongeBob thing by, like, literally just two or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, my brother is three, three and a half years younger than me, mm-hmm. around there. And um, he, you know, he, he watched it when he was growing yeah. up. My sister, and same thing. I think we were just on the edge of missing that. I think the fact But that then it stayed for a lot longer after we were out of the Nickelodeon stream. Yeah, I think it's no surprise if you look at the cultural impact and footprint that SpongeBob has outside of just the show. Well, his, his the second life as yeah. meme fodder yeah. has been yes. has been tremendous for that show, like keeping staying power and keeping uh, these characters relevant and stuff like that. All things considered, though, I'm glad to see a lot of my favorite 90s characters yo, still shout got out some... to, to all my dudes. Yo, I'm a little sad that Doug didn't make it to the final pass. I knew Tommy. he wasn't going to. No, he he you know what? I liked I loved Doug when I was a kid. It was like my favorite cartoon on Nickelodeon when I was a kid, this that and everything. Um, Tommy Pickles deserved to win, if we're being honest. You know what's funny? I actually there's Tommy little... Pickles grew up to be Doug. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's a prequel. Uh, <laughs> I'm also surprised that Hey Arnold had such a heavy cultural relevance. Oh, I feel you like gotta, get, I... gotta get back and rewatch. No, I liked Hey Arnold, but yeah, I didn't yeah. at the time think that it had the cultural cachet that I feel like it's held on to. Hey Arnold was really important to you know we grew up in Utica's a city technically, but sure. like kind of the suburbs basically yeah, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Um, Hey Arnold did, had a lot of content about the, kind of the wider scope of the world and, you know, people's lives and, like, you know, some of the stories they did with the characters, like, they were living in that boarding house and, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. really touched on some deep themes. You know, that girl Helga in that show and, like, her mom was, like, an alcoholic, but they couldn't really say it, but they did a good job of showing, like, what it's like to grow up in this neglectful household. Mm -hmm. I find that, like, when you're talking about old cartoons like this with people... That's one that when it means something to people, it means a ton. Like, the people who stand for Hey Arnold go hard for it. I thought Ah Real Monsters and Ren and Stimpy were both grossly underrepresented here. Although I'm kind of not surprised. Ren and Stimpy really doesn't have the cultural, like, 
kickback that I thought it would when I was a kid. I thought Ren and Stimpy was so cool and edgy, and now it feels strange and dated. No, I I don't know. I don't know if that would be the case. Go back and watch some of the some of those like seasons. They're doing really interesting stuff. It was just never really exactly for kids. You didn't feel like it was for kids. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. yeah. It just I think the problem with that show is it didn't have the same level of rewatchability. Like it didn't get a bump from reruns. It was hard to access. There was a lot of Parents argument like over. It. it was a lot of argument over who owned the content. Yeah. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. Uh. So yeah. Uh. Speaking of kids content, here's a sad one for you. In a recent study this week, uh. A new study has found that kids and teens in the United States get a majority of their calories from ultra-processed foods like frozen pizza, microwavable meals, chips, and cookies. Mm-hmm. Two-thirds, or 70, 67% of calories consumed by children and adolescents in 2018 came from these ultra-processed foods, a jump from 61% in 1999. So an 8% jump since then. Uh, this seems to be something that's gone across the U.S. in general as a overall poorer nutrition profile than it did 25 years ago for sure for sure a lot of this comes to people saying it's really more of an inconvenience thing for people like it's the inconvenience the convenience of having available food is nicer than going through the process of having to like hunt for food and it's cheaper seems to be the reason um yeah well also i I think that's a cop-out well, also, Quite they, frankly, say, they also yeah. say that the physical structure and chemical compounds of a lot of these high-processed foods are meant to make them more appealing and have a longer shelf yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. They're, well, they're built yeah. in. I mean, a lot of that stuff is built in to basically be addicting. Like, yes. A lot of this, like, snack food and, like, this junk and, like, freezer garbage and all this, like, shit. Yeah, but I think the whole... I think the idea of the convenience of it is oversold. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of the inconvenience of preparing food is, yeah. is also oversold. I don't think there's right. really that mm-hmm. much of, like, a difference... It can seem intimidating if you don't do it. And a whole yeah. generation of people, you know, a lot of people don't never cook. really learned how to cook, never really were mm-hmm. shown. You know, people who grew up with both parents working, you know, there mm-hmm. wasn't always somebody at the house being like, hey, come here, let me show you how to, you know, do this, that, or the other thing. But it's also, like, not that hard to actually, like, cook and prepare food. But it's something you have to, to think about because it's super easy to fall into that trap of just eating processed junk yeah. all the time. And it's, you know, as I've tried to cut it out a bit over this last year, year and a half, I've really noticed um, a change in both the way that I feel and, like, physically, too. So, uh, Tufts University's uh, senior author and nutrition expert on this, Fang Fang Zan, uh, said that things like sugar, corn syrup, hemp oil, and other ingredients that are usually uh, that are we usually don't use in the kitchen, that are extracted from foods and synthesized in a library, uh, uh, laboratory, are added to the final product. The purpose of doing this is to make them highly palatable, so kids will like these foods that make that somewhat make it hard for them to resist. So again, sort of backing up the mm-hmm. idea these foods are meant to be sort of addictive. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then you start with it, you don't go back. Yeah, that's true. That becomes the problem. Like if you're, I don't know, you hear from folks sometimes like, oh, my kid will only eat chicken fingers and mac and cheese. Yep. It's like, well, that's on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's uh, on you. Let's oh. blast through some quick sports news before we get to the end here because I'm Running behind. Uh, remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the Cleveland Guardians, the new name for the Cleveland Indians? Oh, yeah. Well, are they still doing that? What's they, going on there? Well, they are, but somebody screwed up. Officials at Cleveland's Major League Baseball team didn't do their homework while changing the team's name last month. It was announced that they, on July 23rd they would be called the Cleveland Guardians. Problem is, a male roller derby team in the city of Cleveland has been using the name Guardians and the Cleveland Guardians website for well over a decade. Mm. Uh, so they are currently in the middle of a legal battle to decide whether they should change the name again or buy out the name from the roller derby team. Kevin, your thoughts? Should they let them have Guardians and go with something else? Uh, 
I mean, shout out to these roller derby guys if they can parlay this into a payday from the Major League Baseball. Yo, for the sure. Cleveland Indians. Like, I'm, sure. that name is for sale. Yeah. Uh, the price might be a little high, but that name mm. and, and domain are for sale. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a dumb name, so it'd be fine if they changed it. Like, also, yeah. now you're going to have, like, your third name in mm. two weeks. That's that's not a great look, no. so. Uh, and here's from the, the petty corner of the sports world. Mm. Uh, Chinese state media has declared their country the winner of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics after embellishing their medal count to include medals won uh, by Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Macau. Mm. Uh, thus making them the winners oh, of the I Olympics see. and not the U.S. team, which took home 39 gold medals and 113 medals I hope overall. it keeps them nice and warm at night. So petty. Tom yeah. Petty. Uh, big energy story this week. Uh, I just like the headline. Hermit, who lives in literal cave, learns about pandemic, gets vaccinated. This is a story from mm-hmm. Serbia. Yeah, it's because he's not on goddamn Facebook, is why. <laughs> uh, Panta Petrovic, 70 years old, lives alone in the Stara Planina Mountains in southern Serbia. He began his self-imposed isolation more than 20 years ago and survives mostly on foraged mushrooms, fish in a nearby creek, and occasionally ventures out to the nearby town to look for food in garbage bins. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite his Spartan lifestyle, he didn't hesitate to get the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as it was available. Here's his quote from him. The coronavirus does not pick. It will come here to my cave, too. It's kind of like a poem. It's almost like a haiku. It will come here to my cave also. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, all right, and we talked about Andrew Cuomo last week. I'll end on this uh, big energy segment for Andrew Cuomo. And it's not really even about him. I just needed to share this with you, Kevin, because it made me laugh a lot. Uh, so <laughs> so before Andrew Cuomo resigned uh, as governor, he made a quote that I have to share with you, okay? Mm-hmm. And in his first attempt at a bizarre defense, Andrew Cuomo said, I'm not perverted, I'm just Italian, quote, unquote. That's amongst you guys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what a what a excuse! I'm blown away. Made me laugh really hard when I. Ah, <laughs> uh, I gotta be honest with you. It it's semi consistent behavior. <laughs> like as I'm, as I'm, I've heard, I've heard. Two stories in the last ten days from people I know about Italian tourists being Italian tourists. gross out at a bar and rest about out of bars and restaurants and taking mad liberties with like uh girls they find attractive. So I don't know. That's amongst you guys talking out amongst the Italians. As I plan to we'll do save here, the Italy cast. I will talk it out here amongst the Italians. As I quote uh, the great Italian uh, Furio Gunta, mm. uh, these are all Italians in the north. I only. I only support the Southern Italians. The North looks down on us. I would imagine this is Northern Italians who are like this. The Southern Italians are hardworking, uh, beautiful people. That's all I have to say on that matter. Hmm. Calabresi, Nicastro, shout out to my home. Uh, all right, <laughs> sort of. Let's get to this week's uh, interview. Uh, first time guest on the podcast. We had a great discussion that sort of, and I got to share this with you guys as folks. I've talked about it before, but it's worth noting. Sometimes you meet somebody and you have a conversation with them and things go Fine, they go really well. And then you find out that that person also likes professional wrestling. And for strangers, 
This becomes the only thing you ever talk about with this person. The minute we found out that we both like wrestling, our entire conversation shifted. So yes, there is some slight wrestling conversation in this podcast. What a surprise. Uh, but also there's a lot of really great content about uh, Ed's process of going through becoming a journalist. Uh, we talked about a couple different stories he's done over the last few weeks that have gotten some, uh, some good buzz. Uh, so yeah, nice long conversation with first time guest, Ed Harris of the OD. He's back. Because uh, I, over the years, I really haven't been asked much to ever go on other people's mm-hmm. stuff. I tend to be asking people to come here. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, the formats are different. I've been on, like, the radio before, but radio is a very different format because they're like, can you give me three minutes of content and then get out of here, please? <laughs> uh, or I'm like, I've just started. I got notes. Uh, <laughs> but I do notice that when I go to other people's stuff now, when I do get asked to do things, mm-hmm. I have a bad habit of bringing all of my stuff and then just taking over the show, which people don't like. <laughs> it seems to be uh, the issue. Uh, Ed, what am I pulling you away from here this morning? Uh, vacation. That's right. You're on vacation this week. That's right. Yep. Uh, we got a nice little staycation. Nice. Uh, we're still in the pandemic, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a rocky road. And I have a really sick dog who's actually going <sighs> in for surgery tomorrow. Oh, so. my God. I'm so sorry. Is he a... Older dog, younger dog. Uh, just turned nine. He oh, and his okay. sister are rescued pit bulls. Oh, that's awesome. My um, Justin, who uh, runs Made in Utica with Katie, they live up the street mm-hmm. and they're friends of mine. But they have a, a rescue pit mix at the house, and it's just the best dog. It's oh, such definitely. a sweet animal. We adopted a. My wife and I adopted a pit when we uh, nice. moved in together back when we were still dating. And he, uh, his name was Otis. He unfortunately passed away about a decade ago. But he turned us into a pit family, and I can't see myself adopting any other dogs now. So I would imagine you're probably on the same side of this argument. You feel like, I feel like pit bulls, it's such a shame when you go look at all the dogs that are, you know, up at the Humane Society, or a lot of them are pit bulls. And it just, it feels, they have such a bad reputation from a certain aspect of people, and I don't understand why, because they're such sweet animals when they're in the right environment and you treat them right. Well, the big thing for me is a lot of pit bulls are misidentified. Yeah. Um, anything with a blocky head is referred huh. to as a pit bull when uh, a true pit bull is the American Staffordshire Terrier. Sure, okay. Uh, I kind of learned that going along. No, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, the two dogs I have now are pretty much 100% pit. Um, their mom was 100 is a pure pit bull. Awesome. She was left in the woods tied to a tree when she was giving birth. Um, so I, I like to do some things to that guy that I can't mention in the radio <laughs> podcast, so uh, we'll leave that there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's just too, ma- too many dogs, period, too many animals in a shelter, in my opinion. Yeah. I always joke around that if I won a lottery, I wouldn't go buy, you know, cars, TVs, and all that. <laughs> the first thing I would do would buy, like, a giant ranch house That's so awesome. I can adopt all the dogs. That's amazing. Um, I keep seeing dogs, unfortunately, I follow some... Uh, ARF, uh, Animal Rescue yeah. Foundation, where my wife mm-hmm. and I got our yeah. two dogs in Connecticut and some others, and you always see the dogs. Yeah. And, yeah. It's so weird, too, because I guess, uh, you know, I don't have land here at the, at the studio, you may mm-hmm. have noticed, which is 
honestly the only reason that I've never went out and got a dog. Not that I couldn't get a dog in the apartment, but like I feel bad. I'm not going to do – every day if he wants to go somewhere, i got to walk him down to the park. Not that I wouldn't do it, but it's winter around here sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't want to – that's one of my early purchases. I'm stuck with the cat here, which is a whole different vibe, and he's a real jerk. Um, but, uh, Ed Harris is joining us today, a reporter from the Utica Observer Dispatch. Let's – Let's get this out of the way right now, because I'm sure this is a thing that people do to you, and you've got it all the time. How often do people do the Ed Harris actor name reference thing to you? How often have you heard that? Not as much recently. Not as much recently. <laughs> um, I interned back when I was in college uh, way too long ago, Yeah. and with the Hartford Current. It's uh, one of the bigger newspapers mm-hmm. in Connecticut where I'm from, mm-hmm. and we were, I was able to get my foot in the door there. And the editor at the time, a great lady, she uh, helped me tremendously. Awesome. And she brought me around like, hey, Ed Harris, he's, I can't remember exactly <laughs> this at this point, if it was like, hey, he's the cousin of or brother, some some sort of familial relation <laughs> to the to Ed Harris, the actor. Yeah. Most of the reporters there, this is early 2000s, are all yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then... Um, I've had times where I've jokingly told people, like, oh, hey, Rick, what was your name again? I'm like, oh, Ed Harris. They're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, like the actor. They're like, oh, yeah, relation? I'm like, of course. Absolutely. You have to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I had someone believing for, like, 30 minutes that he was my, like, great uncle. Do you get the office space thing where you're like, I'm not going to change my name. He's the one who sucks. Do you have that, like, <laughs> do you have that moment sometimes and you're like, I'm not going to watch The Rock again for the 15th time? No, thank you. <laughs> Uh, my big thing is, with the exception of if I was to do something crazy and major that would make like front page news across the country, that would be interesting. Besides being interesting, um, <laughs> it would basically mean you can't find me on a Google search. And That's then, a great point. Unless you look up Ed Harris, you know, journalist OD. If you just look up Ed Harris, the first five million or so pages yeah. would be whatever he's working on today. There are only about. I've done some research on this. There are not many Sam Familaros in the in the United States. Mm-hmm. And all the seven that I could find are all, like, in Utica for whatever reason. We're all, like, we're all right around each other. Uh, but I think simply just by the basis of doing this podcast for six years, I've become accidentally the most successful Sam Familaro in nice. New York. So I feel Good job. just, there's only six of us, so you you six better figure it out. Yeah, the other five ones. Uh, yeah, you teased it a little bit, Ed. Where, uh, you said Connecticut. Is that what you consider home for you? Home is that where you were born and raised? Yes, I was born and raised in Winstead, Connecticut. It's in the uh, northwest corner. It's maybe 45 minutes to an hour outside of Hartford and Waterbury, okay. two main uh, cities in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife was working a job in Connecticut. She was good at but wasn't really a huge fan, mm. and she wanted to get into academia. Nice. And so she ended up with a master's in criminal justice awesome. and a master's in cybersecurity. Wow. Right. Yeah, a pretty good uh, place to have masters. Yeah. <laughs> and so she interviewed to uh, teach at Herkimer College up here. Awesome. And one thing led to another and became too good to pass up. Awesome. So how long ago did you make that move from Connecticut to Herkimer at this point? Uh, I knew you were going to ask that. I tried to remember. <laughs> <laughs> it starts many, like all melting together, especially yeah. with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like I still can't believe it's 2021. It's wild, doesn't it? What's crazy to me is it's only four months away from 2022. Yeah. It feels like we spent this first half of 2021 <laughs> trying to comprehend what just happened. Yeah, like you drank way too much and now you're just trying to get over the hangover and next thing you know, it's the next day. Uh, well, last week, uh, on last week's episode, we were interviewing my brother-in-law who was from Chicago. We're working on a sports thing together. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about is he grew up in Joliet, which was about 40 minutes away from Chicago. And that was 
sort of a talisman when he was growing up. As he was a teenager, they would, you know, escape into Chicago and go see sports. Was Hartford sort of like that in Winstead? Were you, like, with it being so close, 45 minutes away, was that, like, the escape route for you? Like, we got to go to the big city. This is where people go on the weekends. Was it that kind of environment? Uh, not really. Hartford uh, was kind of grimy and... Really? Uh, somehow, yeah. yeah. It's your typical big city in a state like Connecticut. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, it was the insurer is maybe I haven't kept track the insurance capital of Connecticut yeah. or the world actually. Um, so there is interesting. You, you name an insurance company, they got a giant building with their name on the side, and the biggest thing was the Hartford Civic Center. Hartford Whalers, the whale. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't get me started on whalers. Um, How much of it was the WWE thing a presence in your life? Because that's my connection to Connecticut. Yep. Growing up was the Stanford is where the WWE is from. Was that a thing that you were around growing up too? Yes, I noticed you got the uh, wrestling oh, figures over here in forever. the corner. <laughs> uh, that told me this is going to be a good interview. Oh yeah, <laughs> I um, do. I can't. The people were thrown off that I'm like. Like a thirty-five-year-old man, and I'm like, a, I have a master's degree in education, yep. and they're like, "What are you doing?" So I'm like, "I'm sorry, I gotta go home and watch wrestling. It's Wednesday night." They're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, what? Are you... right, Wednesday, AEW. Then I'm watching AEW. That's right. I've been watching a lot of it. Uh, you know, and I, I tell people, sort of half jokingly, that it's the greatest American art form since jazz, and they think I'm being mm-hmm. facetious. And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Jeez, go ahead. <laughs> sure. Yeah, whatever you can say." Uh, but did you sort of like, did you like grow up in that Hulk Hogan era? Was that like around when you were growing up? Yeah, around then. Um, there was a few seconds where I toyed with the idea of maybe going into wrestling. I think all of us did. All wrestling. <laughs> I, um, I worked at a video rental store, kind of showing my age, unfortunately. No, I, just, I love it. Um, and one of my coworkers was big into wrestling. He mm. actually brought me to an ECW show. Awesome. It was the one where uh, New Jack fell off the uh, scaffold. You were there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you got to meet Justin, my, my buddy from me. You, you guys would be fast friends, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was at, uh, I can't remember. It was one of the... In uh, Philly, or was that like... Uh, it was at a Connecticut show. Connecticut show, It yeah. was at one of the uh, colleges there. Sure, sure, um, sure. I can't remember exactly which one it is. Uh, unlike New York, we have like Central, Eastern, Western. <laughs> yeah. That's how we name our colleges in Connecticut. So um, it was at one of them. It may have been Western, but mm. don't quote me on that. He had an extra ticket for a pay per view. Awesome. Like, I'm like, how much will it cost? It goes twenty bucks. I'm like, he's, he's like, it's ECW. <laughs> you know, it's interesting about that. And I, I didn't know we were going to get only nine minutes, and we're going to get into wrestling already. Uh, it's interesting too because I grew up watching you know, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, mm-hmm. The Ultimate Warriors. When wrestling was in the early '90s, late '80s, and then I got into college. I went to New York and I was doing my thing down there, and it kind of. It kind of vanished for a couple years. Mm-hmm. And again, it was something, I got a ticket from a friend of mine who I was working in a restaurant with to go see a show for an independent company called Ring of Honor, which people are not going to know what I'm talking about. But yep. it was an indie wrestling show, and it was in the Hammerstein Ballroom, and that sort of re-sparked my second revival. I was like, oh, wrestling is kind of cool in punk rock now. Look at this. This is great, <laughs> right? Uh, were you... Uh, were you doing school in Connecticut, or were you like doing college there as well? Did you go to one of those four colleges in Connecticut? Yeah, I went to uh, Central Connecticut, which is in New Britain. New Britain. Uh, which is another major city. It's not too far from... Uh, essentially, unlike New York, Connecticut, you can get to anywhere in like two hours. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's small state, uh, small state problems, right? You can get yeah, wherever. You know, like I can drive diag- If I drive diagonally, it might be two and a half. Hmm. Or here, if I want to drive... Up to Syracuse, it's an hour. Or if you want to drive up to, you know, like Watertown, it's like two and a half hours. Were you interested in doing reporting and journalism even then? Was that what you went to college for? I actually fell into journalism by accident. It was pure happenstance that I uh, 
got involved. I, for whatever reason, always wanted to be a police officer. I mm-hmm. uh, can't. It's not one of those like I've always wanted to change the world kind of thing. So it's just my dad was a volunteer EMS yeah. fire ambulance, and I was always brought up around that. And I you know would go to various cookouts, mm-hmm. fairs, things like that, and I knew all the officers by first name. Uh, may have gotten away with a thing or two being young, <laughs> um, but uh, we won't talk about that. And so, like, it was always a presence in my life. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? Let's go for it. Yeah. And I put myself through college, so I went to the community college back home and got my associates, and then I needed to uh, go up to, you know, get my uh, bachelor's. So I was like, all right, I'll go to Central. That's where I ended up going. They have one of the better, or at least did have one of the better uh, criminal justice programs. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, went, signed up and everything. They're like, so what do you want to do for uh, your minor? Mm-hmm. You know, great question. Something you should have <laughs> known was coming. But I'm like, uh, minor, huh? Sure. Yeah, sure that, that other one, that yeah. thing, that thing. That thing. <laughs> um, so basically I was like, well, what do you guys got? And they're like, well, we blah, blah, blah. We get that in the W's. Like, we have a writing minor. Mm-hmm. You know, I always enjoyed writing. I loved reading. And I had actually published some smaller uh, short stories and poems in some throwaway magazine type thing. Well, I was just going to ask, because I had a period of time with journalism. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that a little bit later. But a lot of my writing came from that creative writing. Did yep. you do creative writing growing up? Was that like a thing you were drawn to? Yeah, that was also one of the uh, classes I took at, yeah. you, you know, you had to take the electives and such even at the uh, community writing. college. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you would get a prompt, you know, like, you walk in the house, we're looking at the microphone, it starts talking to you. What did it say? And then off you go. That's a weird thing, too, that I think people don't understand. I took creative writing in college, again, as an elective because I was interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I would take the subway in the New York early, for the New York subway early in the morning to get there. And I was always late. But uh, it was just, it's a weird skill to be able to do. I liked the prompts. Sort of the limiting thing scared people. But I like the idea of, mm-hmm. like, here's one piece of information and go. And I think that's less scary to me than be like, do whatever you want. I'm more concerned if they're like, do whatever you want. I liked sort of the the limitations that creative writing classes put on you a little bit. I can tie that back into uh, journalism in a sec. Um, but I one of the first classes they had that you could take in writing was journalism. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I like the news. This was right around the time of uh, 9-11 and... You know, not a year or two after the Bush Gore thing. Yeah, so you're not you're right in my age group then. Yeah. You're right in my wheelhouse. Okay. So like right around there, I was like, the news was tons going on. Like yeah. you, it, it was huge, and so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll take journalism. Yeah. And then journalism two, and then journalism three, <laughs> and at the time they didn't have a major in journalism at uh, Central, so I ended up finding you take it for a major. So I ended up switching over to journalism as a uh, minor. And I ended up not sucking at it. Yeah. Were you doing, like, work at the time in, like, the school newspapers and stuff yep. as well, working there, too? Yeah. I uh, started as a staff writer working in the opinion section, mm-hmm. and then I was the entertainment editor, and then I became co-editor-in-chief with a good friend of mine who nice. works for a local news channel down in Connecticut. He does uh, all the uh, web stuff for him. Um and we both, like, he wanted to be the friendly one everyone loves, and I and I got to be the hard-ass, like, hey, you, you know, we need your story. Yeah. I, I know you're not getting paid for this, but, you know, your deadline was yesterday kind of thing. But the best part of it, they did get me, uh, they have a college news conference where, uh, I'm not, not sure if you're familiar with those, hmm. but uh, we got uh, to go out to them. So I got to go to Dallas, Texas for awesome. free and nice. Las Vegas. 
That's really cool. Now, I, I always ask because for me, uh, I was sort of like kind of floundering in at Hunter College. I had like just a low enough GPA to not mm-hmm. go through the education department unless I like started paying out of pocket and getting my grades up. Uh, but one of the guys said to me, he's like, you know, you have like a 2.8 or whatever it was, I think, at the time. He's like, you could probably get into the journalism school. And I was like, I don't know if that's for me. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I stuck out the education thing. But journalism, I think, at the, even at that time, this is, you're talking like 2000, oh boy, I'm going to forget when I graduated college. Like maybe 2013, I was in New York, maybe around then, 2012. Okay. I was already concerned then that I wasn't sure what like journalism even was anymore, right? Like I was like, because I was... A lot of my entry was sports journalism, which I think for a lot of young men of a certain age, sports mm-hmm. journalism is your entryway. Yeah. And I think I grew up in that internet, Bill Simmons, ESPN, Page Two, all these guys write like they talk and it doesn't seem like proper <laughs> journalism. I guess my long question is, how much of what you took from journalism school do you feel like applies to the actual world of today's journalism that you fell into? Uh, the basics are there, just like it is for any other profession, mm-hmm. um, how to handle yourself, how to be ethical, how to um, do various things. But I got in on the tail end of like the cup boards where um, the newspaper would be laid out on a giant board and right, cut right. stuff out. Like That was my first year, and then everything transitioned to all the computer programs and changing the story on the fly rather than, oh my god, you got to change the story, you know, stop the press kind of thing. Um, but with the advent of technology, like maybe two years ago, I actually did a whole interview through text messaging. Yeah. I forget exactly why that had to be done, but it was just the easiest to get the person mm-hmm. at that time. And, you know, as long as you put in the story, you know, said so-and-so via text message. Yeah. You know, I was like, or I've set up interviews, um, like this one we talked, you know, via, uh, Twitter. Twitter yeah. And then I've actually set up interviews with Facebook Messenger, Facebook Messenger and Twitter are mm-hmm. weirdly, it's the only reason, the only reason, well, plus I have to promote the show somewhere that I haven't <laughs> gotten rid of most of my social media platforms is yep. it becomes a really helpful way to communicate with people, especially in a community like this where there's a, a lot of active people around here on it. So It's also kind of helped out the journalism industry where I can go to a website and tell you all about the history of Uticast if I was doing a story on yeah. you guys. You know, here's when you started, here's who you've yeah. interviewed, or if I'm doing a story, like I cover Oneida County, so if I wanted some history on some report, I can probably look it up online. Uh, that's a really interesting segue, actually, because I was just going to ask you, you're, you're listed on Twitter as reporter for the Observer Dispatch, and my <laughs> question is always, is there a semantic difference between a reporter and a journalist, or am I just looking too deep into it? Is it the same general term? Same general term. They're yeah. interchangeable. Journalists may have yeah. more of a connotation than a reporter. Right, especially in today's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but they basically do the same thing. So you say you cover Oneida County. That's kind of a broad uh, a broad yeah. topic. How does it how do you come about finding the stories that you feel like you're going to you're going to cover? Well, the main areas I cover is the Oneida County government, so that would be like uh, the county executive, mm-hmm. um, board of legislature and things that happen with them. And then the city of Rome and the town of New Hartford. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, like, I just had a story on... Oops, sorry, the, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a story on uh, Sangertown Square Mall and some of the financial issues they're facing. So the stories jump out there or um, the various things that happen in in politics. As a man who has been going to the Sangertown Mall since I was a child, I grew mm-hmm. up in South Utica before my little uh, Brooklyn uh, tour... <laughs> 
I, I, I mean this with all due respect to the Sangatown Square Mall folks, I'm stunned it's still open. I'm absolutely stunned. Compared to what it was like when I was mm-hmm. a kid, it was a, I mean, it's in a, it was a cultural hub. There was an arcade, a movie theater, and I used to think those little fake apartments above the inside of the cafeteria were real <laughs> and you could live in them, and I wanted to do that, and was, <laughs> I thought that for way too long. Uh, and now when I walk in and it does, I mean, it's also a sign of the times for where sure. a lot of what the, the way we, you know, we do our shopping and consumerism <laughs> now has changed, but... I am kind of surprised that it ha- it's still sort of kicking on, even to this day. Well, they've got some new things coming in there, like uh, pins. Mm-hmm. It's a little place where Dad can go away and have a few drinks at the bar if um, he wants, while you know, the kids or the missus are out shopping. Or they just got an axe throwing, which I definitely recommend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that seems to be where a lot of these... Mm-hmm. If you go to Syracuse Mall, it almost yeah. feels like it's more of a attraction center that just happens to have a few stores in there. Yes. <laughs> and if you're not aware, the same company, Pyramid, actually owns um, Sangertown, so they're owned by the same company. I did the escape room in one of those uh, Syracuse... Oh, yeah. oh, my God. I've never felt stupider in my entire life than, than I was by myself in there. My, my wife and I did that. Um, we got halfway through one of the rooms, and somehow we found, like, clue seven when we were looking for clue yes, five. Yes, jumped across. <laughs> and it wasn't like... You know, like, we knew what we were doing. It's just like, hey, this pen shouldn't be here. And it's like, open the door with this, right? Or, <laughs> uh, sure, we jumped ahead. And then our time ran out, and a lady just walked in and goes, oh, you guys just had to click? We're like, oh, my God. We did the one with my niece and nephew that was, like, the themed one. So it was like, yeah. you're in the mummy's tomb. And that one was... That one was actually quite fun. Because my niece and nephew were kind of scared of it. So it was like, I got to mm-hmm. do the, you know... Uh, but... But that one was a little... That was almost Disneyland-esque. It was like, oh, this is very themed. There's a couple other ones in there that are, like, technical. you got to walk in there and it's like, here's 15 gears. Put them all in a row. I'm like, that seems like a lot. So let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've been working on. Oh, actually, I have one more question before we get into some sure. nitty-gritty stuff. Uh, I always talk about, you know... I mentioned to you before the podcast that, you know, for podcasting, I always go back to, like, Bill Simmons and Mark Marin. But I always think my earliest inspiration for, like, this kind of stuff... Was sort of like growing up as a kid around here and listening to uh, John Sterling and Charlie Steiner at that time call Yankee games. And I just love mm-hmm. listening to them speak. And I don't necessarily think that's a direct connection, but I always think of those two when I think about the presentations that I remember growing up. Were there like inspirations in terms of journalism or mentors along the way that you looked at who sort of helped you along the way, either in Connecticut or here in Utica? Uh, the biggest mentor I would have would probably be uh, Bill Lucart. He was the assistant manager at the Harv or manager, uh, editor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going we're going into uh, different businesses. Yeah. Now. Um, I blame that on the caffeine. Uh, he was the assistant uh, editor at the Hartford Current in the uh, New Britain Bureau mm-hmm. when I interned, and he took me into his office the first day, and was like, "Here's your story." He goes, "Pull up a chair," and we redid the entire story, mm. and it wasn't like your story sucked. It was you know, here's how you have to set it up. It works better if you put X up here, bring Y down there. Right. You know, you have a good puzzle, mm-hmm. but you rearrange a piece or two, and they still fit perfectly. But now look at it, you're like, that's a heck of a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it was done in a way where, like, I'm not destroying you. I'm working with you. And that's always stood with me. I've had some time as an editor in Connecticut working with uh, up-and-coming new reporters yeah. and try to show them that same kind of um you know, nurturing, and then he ended up, they had some reshuffling at the current, yeah. he ended up covering uh, Southington, Connecticut, where I was working as an editor, so mm-hmm. I was at some meetings, and we were now 
you know, uh, against not against each other, but we were, yeah, um, you, mean. Yeah. you know, competing journalists for lack of a better term. Not that there's really a such a thing. No, I think it, it's not that dissimilar to like the education field, yeah. though. Like every school I've ever worked at, if it's a functioning well-to-do school the departments all mm-hmm. should be working together and in order and it's not about whose class is better than the other but in reality you always have people who are mm-hmm. not going to want to do that who are yeah. to do their own thing and are going to want to be disconnected and it just depends on your uh your leveling of both of those sides how do you find a good medium in between yeah, these two? like i'm not going to walk in and be like hey guess what i got this exclusive interview with a county executive and he broke x news yeah yeah you know, I'm not going to tell you that, but if we're both at a meeting, I'm like, oh, crap, how much did that cost? I didn't get it. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'll tell you that, or be like, hey, you know, stick around after, you know, you got here late, but, you know, so-and-so is going to meet with us after, just so you know. You know, like, sharing like that is helping each other out, because we're in the same boat. Uh, and you have two stories over the last uh, few, I guess it would be the last three weeks. By the time I, when I originally reached out to you, it was a little more topical, but... Uh, mm-hmm. These are the two stories I was thinking about when I when I asked you to come over here. Uh, one was the one you did on July 21st, the Tarnished Legacy of Woodstock 99. This sort of came out right in time with the uh, with the documentary on HBO that people seem to be sort of split on, I feel like. Yeah. That story actually came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the great 20th anniversary mm-hmm. of when the Woodstock and Rome Woodstock yeah. 99 happened. Um, that started out as a huge project with a former editor who since moved on mm-hmm. to uh, other pastors. Um, and we were doing like three or four reporters. Yeah. We're going to do this huge expose and then things happened and it got whittled down to just me. Yeah. Like we were going to, like I reached out to you just about any um, music act that had, you know, performed. Mm-hmm. I heard back from two of them and got blown <laughs> off for one interview. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> what did, well, I guess my question, I was, uh, so in 99, I was about, 13 so mm-hmm. i was just in that age range living around here where my parents were definitely not letting me go to rome uh where were you in 99 was were you local for this or were you still in connecticut i was one year out of high school in connecticut one year out of high school so did you were you even aware of the stories of woodstock 99 going on in connecticut at that time or was that amplified locally here at the time um i was like i knew it was on mtv yeah. I, I wasn't really a huge fan of mtv the music isn't really uh at the time when they showed music wasn't really my area but you know everyone growing up in the 90s knew what mtv was knew what was going on you'd you'd, you know get bored one day you just throw it on for the background and they were hyping it up they're gonna you know be showing this and that so like i was aware of what happened i knew you know the riots and everything and then to actually come up here and be like hey do you want to work on a story happened you know in one of the areas you cover like oh okay uh, what's really what I found really fascinating about it, you know, in looking back at it through hindsight, one, I, I think you're spot on to with the music thing. If you look back at '99 and you look at those bands, mm-hmm. I mean, I was in '99. I liked all those bands. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I didn't own like a Limp Bizkit or Corn T-shirt. But now, in hindsight, when you look back, it does feel sort of strange that this was the top of the pop charts. You had this big time bubblegum pop music, and then some of the most aggressive mainstream music that I can remember growing up. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it does seem odd, too, when you look back at the documentary, people were absolutely wild for them. How popular Limpus Kid and Corn were. It's really, I think time has forgotten how popular and influential those bands were. Uh, I'm sad to say I've actually seen Limpus Kid in concert back Back in the day, I saw them with a band called Seven Dust. Which Yo, Seven Dust, yes. I'm familiar with Seven Dust. <laughs> um, I'm more into like the heavier, more 
you know, like hardcore punk kind of thing. Oh, nice, nice. But uh, you know, I've seen them, like I just said, and I mean that for the era that was it yeah. was you it was everywhere. Like I, I always laugh that when in 2004 when I graduated high school, you couldn't escape. Uh, that one fifty cent album, the Get Rich or Die Trying album, and the one Eminem album that came out, the Eminem yeah. show. Like no matter what car you got into, it was one of those two things. Yeah. And I, I think in ninety nine, it was with a lot of my friends, it was the same kind of thing. Oh, we listening to Corn today. What a surprise! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you go to the mall, like we were just talking about Sangertown. Mm-hmm. You know, there's fifty shirts for Corn or Limp Bizkit, and then <laughs> like a random Metallica or like you know Iron Maiden shirt in a corner or something. Well, it's funny too because like. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Those those bands somehow survived. Like I was never a fan of Maiden per se, mm-hmm. uh, but I did end up playing in like a cover band when I was moving to New York, and I just finished playing in my band up here, and I was like, I'm doing other stuff, <laughs> and uh, I started playing in a band that would do like heavy metal covers of like pop songs, but we would also just randomly do like nice. Living After Midnight. Like it's out of nowhere. Like we gotta do Living After. I don't know why, but you just loved it. Uh, the other story I wanted to talk to you about is a little more topical. This is from August 5th, and this is mostly about how Oneida County has now considered a substantial level uh, for transmission of COVID-19. This is a much more serious story. I didn't mean to transition so intensely. Uh, so I have a couple questions here. I'm not sure. here to dig into the, the politics of all this necessarily, but um, is there a way, and you've been seeing this probably from the inside as a reporter, mm-hmm. is there a way that seems like right now to push the benefits of the vaccine that doesn't seem political, or we've gone too far in that case where any sort of talking about it feels like it's a political discussion? I think it's turned into that. Yeah. Um, it's become somewhat hyper-partisan for whatever reason. Yeah. Like a lot um, of stuff feels like it has lately. Yeah. I've, I'm fully vaccinated. I have no issues saying So am that. I. We've talked about it in the pod before. Yeah. but I would, you know, tell anyone to go out and get vaccinated. There's, yeah. you know, I, I've covered it. Um, in, intensely, and then I've also worked on it and talked about it behind the scenes with our health reporters. So yeah. there's really no reason that I think it should be hyperpartisan. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it just is. sadly that's just the way it is. It feels like, and I, I wonder too, like what kind of things there could be to sort of break that apart. Like again, I understand the FDA is going through their entire process, but mm-hmm. I wonder if the FDA came out and said, you know, they're approving this vaccine. If that would sort of help knock down whatever ten percent of people are, you know. That's the reason I'm not getting it. You know what I mean? I wonder if there is something along those lines that may be able to help people. And for people who have the vaccines, I'm, I think the question that worries me is like, how concerned should we be about when we need to get boosters for these, right? Like that seems to be another question that's popping up a lot recently. I think one of the big issues there is this is the big thing in our lifetime. We've never had, we've never had a pandemic that we've had to live through. Our, our parents might have, or our grandparents with polio yeah. and things like that. But there's so much unknown. Everything we know today could change tomorrow. Yeah, and that's just the nature of the beast, you know. So, it's, like, well, I think about it as a history teacher, right? Because mm-hmm. over the years, you know, I look back at moments in my life that would become moments that we have to talk about for the rest of our lives. I was in high school when 9-11 happened. I was in chemistry class, and when the teacher left, they weren't telling us what happened because we didn't have the internet quite the way we did today. So we were, like, playing pitch in the chemistry room when they told (laughs) I mean, it was... But that moment felt like things got different afterward. The world... Whatever happened that day afterwards, the world got different. And... COVID isn't a single event the way that 9-11 was, where it was this one day and then it felt like things changed. It's a long-term event that feels like things will not be the same afterwards. And even as a guy who 
thinks about how we have to teach this in school, it's hard to say how you're going to teach something or discuss something when you are still experiencing it now. It's hard to look at what the lessons are when the lessons haven't been learned yet. And that's what concerns me the most. Uh, and that's what I think scares a lot of people about everything, even folks who've gotten vaccinated mm-hmm. and are following all of the, the you know guidelines that the government wants you to. The only other question I think that a lot of people are concerned about is whether or not we're going to get another shutdown, which I don't really have any insight mm-hmm. into. I don't know if we're going to have another shutdown. Um, that's outside of my pay grade. Uh-huh. Um, but I know right now in Oneida County, when I wrote that story uh, last week before I left for vacation uh, that I'm on currently, I know that the county wasn't looking at yeah. mask mandates and such. So all of that would happen first before before, we, before we would worry about a shutdown. Um, I'd be sort of surprised. I know people mm-hmm. want to. I've seen people talking about it, but I, I would be kind of surprised if that just sort of. I, I'm still sort of waiting for the signs to come back up. Like I, I sort of expect it now. Whenever I go anywhere, I'm like, oh, the sign's going to be back up any minute, and I kind of surprised it isn't at some places. I everywhere as I go, I have a mask with me. Oh um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if I had walked in today into the studio and you're like, hey, you know. Do you mind wearing a mask for whatever reason you would yeah, have? Yeah. Okay, cool. It, it's a mask. I, I got it. And, yeah. like, I, I'm going to uh, run errands after I leave here today. And so if I go to a store and there's a new mask up, okay, cool. At this point, I'm kind of playing it by ear. Like, if I go to the gym, mm-hmm. and the gym's a weird one because I started going to the gym only a few months ago when you had to start wearing masks. Yeah. And when we got to the point where they were announcing people could take their masks off, there was definitely a, I don't know, two-week period where people were like, ah, I'm going to hold off. I'm still going to wear it just for yeah. now. Uh, and I guess now I just walk into a place and see what the temperature is. Most yes. grocery stores, I feel like, seem like mm-hmm. people are putting the masks back on. Most gas stations seem like they are not. <laughs> it seems yeah. Uh, yeah, go and gauge the temperature. Like now with the uh, Delta variant, yeah. which is, you know, what made uh, Oneida County, um, you know, back where it is now in the country, obviously. Yeah, certainly, yeah. Um, some places are getting hit harder than others. So, like, if I was to, for whatever reason, my wife has family in Florida. So, if we're going to Florida, I would definitely too, yeah, take, wear a mask as, you know, we fly down or while we're there versus if I'm going to the store here in Utica or something. It's tough. I got family all over the place. I got some in Florida. I got some in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I got some, you know, other parts of the East Coast. And, you know, I, I have various levels of concern <laughs> for all of them. Yeah. Uh, Ed, before we uh, get into our lightning round questions, uh, where can people reach out to you? I know you're on Twitter at OD underscore E Harris, but if mm-hmm. people want to reach out to you, uh, where can people reach out for story work or just if they want to follow your work? Uh, Twitter would be the easiest. I post most of my stories. I also uh, interact with you know, whoever. Yeah. Um, I try to answer my DMs as much as I can, mm-hmm. but uh, with the interface we're currently using, I don't always see them. Yeah. Case yeah. in point where uh, <laughs> I sent you the... Uh, DM this morning, about an hour before I was supposed to show up, and I'm like, oh, hey, are we still doing this? Oh, yeah, no, I, I was just, uh, you know what it is, I, that's, that's me, though, because I'm a little bit uh, neurotic, I think, in that way. I normally don't send people messages to remind them. Like, I usually just assume that when I talk to somebody that that's yeah. it, but sometimes if it's been a while, I'm like, I should check. It's been like a week since I've talked, you know, since we've discussed this, and I was just like, and, and again, that was like last night before I went to bed, uh... I don't know. I, it wasn't like I didn't expect you to come. I just mm-hmm. felt like it was courteous. But then I think to myself, I don't do that for for everybody. <laughs> I, just assume, I don't know why I chose to do it last night. Hmm. I think it's my weird neuroses from uh, 
I think, too, if I have stuff planned out, I'm more likely to overthink things, right? Like, a lot yeah. of times I'm chasing interviews and I gotta, like, can you come over, like, three hours, right? <laughs> you see what I mean? So, I've been trying yeah. to be better this summer vacation with actually planning my job out and not just, like, holding on to the seat of my, my podcast chair when I'm doing this. Yeah, that that's part of the fun of journalism. Um, you can you can have days where I'm just sitting here and, like, nothing's going on. And then in five minutes, you know, like, you said, oh, yeah. nothing going on, and then suddenly you, you know, it, it goes nuts, and next thing you know, it's like 2 a.m., you're like, what the hell just happened? Well, that's what drives me nuts when I do this, because we've, you know, I've thought about expanding this show out to doing it more than once a week, but, you mm-hmm. know, I work full-time jobs and stuff as well as this, so this is still mm-hmm. sort of my secondary gig, but there is nothing more frustrating for me than when I spend, you know, the whole Monday doing the rundown for the show and getting the interview ready and doing all the story bits for the week. And then I put the show out and then three hours later something happens and everything I just talked about is irrelevant. And I'm like, well, <laughs> damn it. And that's why I sort of lean back more to the interviews because yep. the interviews tend to be relevant regardless of when I when I do them, for the most part. Uh, all right, so Ed, let's do some lightning round questions. Again, we want to thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, and these are the same six to seven questions that we ask everybody who's been on the pod, including one special question I have just for you. Ooh, uh, special. Special question right here, Ed. What is your favorite Ed Harris film? <laughs> hmm, favorite Ed Harris film. There's only about a million to choose from. There's a million to choose from. And I have three I'm, that pop in my head immediately, but I'm curious to what it, you pick it, here. And I'm horrible that I don't know all of them. My thought um, would be Truman Show, uh... I also really like him in the five minutes he's in Snowpiercer. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone who's never seen that movie. It's pretty good. Uh, but I feel like The Rock is the answer, right? It's got to be The Rock. Definitely I would go with The Rock and a great um, barely barely getting beaten out. And then in second place, The Truman Show. Truman Show. So Truman Show is a really interesting thing. I loved Truman Show as a mm-hmm. kid. And I watched it. Then it took me years to watch it again. And I watched it just recently. I'm like, wow, this is like a... It's a pretty poignant movie. It's a weird. Like this movie holds up a lot better than I gave it credit for. And and the way that sh- the movie is laid out and the way today is, I could almost see something like that happening. Like, get yeah. You know, you get past the whole ethical issues of a company <laughs> adopting a baby, but you, then you end up like even just someone that does it purposefully. Like, hey, I'm cool with you following my life yeah. around like the real world so, type stuff. Somebody would but be just willing so, to. Some parents would probably be willing to let their kid do it. I mean, that's how the Little Rascals got born back in the day. They yeah. just got all you know, studio owned them. <laughs> I could see something like that happen more like yeah. the movie that versus real world like these days. And I, you know, I could I, see I'd it. probably watch. <laughs> I would definitely you would, people you wouldn't be able to not watch it. It would be it would be too yeah. audacious to not watch. You know what I mean? Like I. That's how I feel, that's how I feel about any of these reality shows that pop up on like the Peacock stream. If I'm watching, I'm mm-hmm. like, "What is this? Below deck? I'm gonna watch this. I'm like, this is terrible." And now I've watched four of them. Why? I'm Stupid. sorry. It's tough. It's a tough hang. Uh, all right, Ed. These are our normal lightning round questions. Uh, Ed Harris, reporter for the Observer Dispatch. When you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? I don't. Don't take your coffee. I noticed that when I offered you something this morning. You give. You said you've never really been a coffee guy. Um, I used to go to church back when I was a kid with my dad and uh, stepmom, and I had to be around 10, I believe, 10 to 15, somewhere in that age range. And obviously they would have like coffee hour afterwards where everyone would go and hang out. And it was make your own. Make your own coffee, yes. I'm a 10 year old kid. I'm going to go make a cup of coffee. Um, it may have been sludge. I'm not really sure what I did. Um, but I had a sip or two and was like, um, screw this. And I've never gone 
I I used to be a very picky eater. It had to mm-hmm. be X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. or I want to eat it. There, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's nothing beyond I can't cook. And then the pandemic happened. I learned to cook, watch all the cooking shows, opened my pouch. Now I'll taste just about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm married to an Italian woman, so if I ask her to cook, <laughs> um, I can bring. You can come over for dinner with your 500 closest friends. It will have leftovers. Um, but coffee is the one thing I've not gone back yeah. and tried again. I've had like coffee flavored ice cream or coffee flavored pick something. Yeah, and it just it didn't really do much for me. You know, I don't know when it happened. I think it's probably when I. I think it was probably a New York City thing. Although I was almost certainly drinking too much coffee when mm-hmm. I was like going to MV when I was like in my post high school years. But New York City, it was just like you just get a cup of coffee wherever you go. Almost, and just like ah, just gonna walk around with it. Uh, I think that sort of flavored the rest of my my late twenties and early thirties. No, I could go for a cup of tea. Uh, cup of tea. Interesting. I, I'm British, so I can handle tea. <laughs> and as we see here, I've got my energy drink over here. That's kind of my go-to on days where I need a little pick me up, make sure I'm awake for things like an interview or for work. That makes sense. Uh, Ed, do you remember your first automobile? Your very first automobile. Very first auto that I purchased myself was a. Toyota, can't remember. It had the hatch. It wasn't a Corolla, but it had the hatchback. The Camry, might have been. My Camry. So a small hatchback Toyota. Yes, I uh, drove that thing into the ground. I bought it Classic. from a used uh, car place. I had just graduated high school, mm-hmm. and uh, for whatever reason, there was nothing else to explain why we had this class, but we had business law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I took the class, did halfway decent on it. So being, you know, just out of high school kid, I'm, you know, going back and forth with the dealer. Yeah, yeah. Give me this, give me that, give me this. So, you know, I kept falling back on that. That's one of the things I remember from that. Like, oh, yeah, we're trying to get a, you know, they didn't have a stereo at the time. It's like, we could probably get a that stock was... one somewhere, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, can we get that in writing, you know? <laughs> yeah, put it on the contract. My mom's just sitting here next to me going, what the heck? So, that was uh, a big deal, though. You had to have the stereo. It was you, or else you had to go to like Best Buy and get an aftermarket mm-hmm. stereo. You don't want to do that. That's expensive. Yeah. So uh, I got the stereo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, t- loved the car. It drove fine until it started uh, just twitching in the driveway, and uh, she served her purpose. I always was envious of my cousins who lived in warmer climates because they didn't have to deal with the the struggles of owning a car in the Northeast snow and rain and nonsense and salt. It's a real different experience for my folks who live in like Jacksonville that I'm friends with. I'm like, you guys got it made, except my, for the hurricanes. My wife has a tooth, or we have a 2001 Honda Civic. Nice. Uh, we don't currently use it anymore. It's currently gathering dust in the corner yeah. of our driveway. But for the f- last decade, I drove it in the yeah. winters up here. Mm-hmm. And I drove it in Stella oh, when that came through. <laughs> and I, I've hit snow banks. I've, you know, uh, various ditches because of the snow and worked great. I've always been kind of on the, I don't want to get like a truck or an SUV because of the gas. I like having a sedan. Mm-hmm. I always like having a little bit of pep to the car. But man, I'll tell you what, as I get into my like mid-30s now and I've had this Honda Accord here for a couple of years, I'm like, I need something that's better than the snow, man. This is tough. Yeah. This is tough. My wife and I had to get new, I got a new car. 2020 first time i've ever owned a brand new mm. car we got it uh, last november beginning of november uh jeep renegade nice. nice uh it's the base model it's got all the yeah yeah beautiful bells and whistles that's how i've gotten back into like the harder rock from the back in the day with like iron maiden oh yeah just because you're going through the channels <laughs> and you're like you're like hair nation or or um oh, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so i just throw it on i'm like wow i don't really remember iron maiden but damn okay you know, click favorites here, here we go <laughs> 
Uh, what's funny too is like I my my parents uh, they hate when I talk about them on the podcast. My my mom and stepdad are Subaru lifers, so they've mm-hmm. had, my stepdad's had a Subaru Outback since like the mid '90s, and he converted my mom. So anytime I talk to them about getting a car, they're like, "Can you get a Subaru?" And I'd be like, Ugh. "I'm like, I, I almost don't want to get it now." This is like what happened when I was a kid, and everybody I knew was a New York Giants fan, and they're like, "Root for the Giants, root for the Giants." And I'm like, "Screw you guys, I'm rooting for the Bills." Just to, okay. And then, of course, um, you know that was a mistake on my part for 25 years, but you know it's coming around. We're, we're paying off in the end. Uh, all right, so you may or may not have taken your Toyota unnamed Toyota hatchback to see it. <laughs> what was your first live concert event? First live concert was Deftones, uh, White Zombie, and Pantera. Man, I'm going to have to send you this video I watched now that we're talking about music here. I just watched a video, like a 20-minute video on the Deftones about how underappreciated they are and like how influential their <laughs> sound was. That must have been a wild live show. I would have loved to see them live. It was awesome. Um, I'm not really a Deftones fan. Like, I respect them. Mm-hmm. It it just doesn't, you know, ring for me. It's a little different than a lot of the other metal yeah. that they, they were playing with, too. It's like a, yeah. a very different vibe. I was a, am a Pantera fan. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. we'll never uh, get to see them perform again. Oh, and, you know, I saw them at the, uh, I think it was called the Meadows Zen in uh, Hartford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what it's called today. It's changed names like seven or eight times. Yeah. And it was awesome. We had seats out in the grass. They had seat seats. Yeah. And then for 15, 20 bucks, you can go out in a huge lawn. The Pantera thing, too, I just want to mention before I forget, because I grew up, I was like a pop punk kid. You know, a lot of the ways I learned to play like guitar and play in bands, you know, Green Day, Blink-182, No mm-hmm. Effects, that kind of like skater punk thing. And that makes its way into like Bad Religion and stuff like that. Yeah. But a lot of my friends around here were into like metal they used to play metal bands so you're talking like Metallica Megadeth Sugar, shit like that nice. and a lot of that stuff didn't always hook me but Pantera was the first because it had that groove I was like oh yeah. these guys there's like a uh, almost a funk to this like there's a, there's a bounce there's a, yeah. like a southern rock groove to it that a lot of the other metal that my buddies were listening to didn't was very like edgy and aggressive but Pantera had like swagger which is one of the first metal bands like oh this speaks to me in a way that some of this other metal did not yeah um i could classify them as like groove metal groove where, metal, yeah where they're they're heavy and they're doing things with guitars that you didn't think guitars could do yeah especially you know with uh dime bag and oh, so good you a rage guy you like rage uh i think like that's a, a common <laughs> um i like some of their songs but for someone that's supposed to be anti-establishment to be all over the establishment, it's true. It just—I've read a couple articles about that too. <laughs> at one point, it's getting their message out, which yeah. is cool. But at the other time, you're part of the thing you're "quote unquote" raging against. So it is one of the few bands, though, that I feel like if I like if I hear a "Rage Against the Machine" song, mm-hmm. I get hyped about as fast as I get for any song. Like if someone put on the song, like people of the sun and i was in public somewhere i feel like i'd be like oh no there's a problem <laughs> there's a problem <laughs> uh give me a uh who is someone you'd love to have dinner with living or dead who is not your relative who would you like to have dinner with living or dead who is not your relative oh, i really have to choose not my relative well unless you have a really cool relative that you want to talk I, I feel like my problem with the relative thing is everyone says like the grandparents and i respect that i'd say that too but i'm always curious who you would pick if it wasn't someone you were directly related to I could tell you the relative, maybe off air, because it's sure. very. Um, it would end the uh, podcast on a down. Down note. note. I understand. I understand. Um, but uh, living or dead, 
you know, I had it in mind. I was going to go with a relative until... You can if you want. If it's a nice story, I just don't know if you want to... You don't have to get so personal if you don't want to. I have no problem sharing it, but sure. it's really... It we... would end everything in a dime. Sure. All right. Well, we don't have to um, about Let's that, see. Then. Living or... You know what? I think it would actually be interesting to go have some lunch with Ed Harrison. <laughs> you guys can have like an arm wrestling match over the yeah. man. Okay, winner gets to keep Ed Harris. Winner gets to keep Ed Harris. Let's go. Okay, if, uh, you, if I win, you have to go by Ed, whatever your initial, middle initial is. Ed G. Harris. Harris. Ed G. Yeah, Harris. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. What, uh, all right, so this will do a light, nice light question here for you. I'm going to set the picture for you. You are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion of the world. You are standing underneath the Titan Tron. You are walking down the ramp to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. Ed, Ed. What song is playing in the background as you make your way to the squared circle? Hmm. I'd have to go with Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Paradise City. Very nice. Very um, nice. I've gotten into heavier and bigger metal bands, but A, Guns N' Roses never put out a bad song. Mm-hmm. And B, that is the best song in the world. I've actually debated my wife for an hour or two on this. We've also gotten to Sammy Hagar or um, Hagar. Vince Neil or Vince Neil, sorry, uh, David Lee Roth. If for, I had, uh, I'm not a huge Halen guy one way or the other, but I do think the one Van Halen song I always think about with this question is the song "Dance the Night Away," because I think that would be the single, my single favorite. Baseball walk-up song. <laughs> nah, but just the, the guitars in the intro. It's like a good <laughs> amount of like wave your hand up and shake. It's something about that song. I'm like, I want to go take a hack at a picture when this song comes up. Uh, all right, give me one book, album, movie, or television show that you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. One book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to. Or I'll watching. go with the television show because my wife and I spent the entire day yesterday for a vacation binging the uh, first season of Chicago uh, Fire. Mm, interesting. Okay. Uh, d- throughout the entire pandemic, we watched just about every cooking show you can think of on the oh, Food Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I couldn't cook to save my life. I can cook chicken and rice because mm-hmm. I am and was big into bodybuilding, and I've done various mm-hmm. shows and contests where I had nice. to reach a certain weight so I could cook diet food. Yeah. And so she took the pandemic and started teaching me how to cook. Uh, as I mentioned, she's Italian. And she has a great palate, so she could think of, like, we can go out to lunch today, and mm-hmm. she takes a burger or some side dish. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome, but mm-hmm. I can't believe we spent 20 bucks to buy <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. She goes, we'll go to the store, she'll, we'll spend $10, and she'd you know, make it at home. And yeah. Almost exactly the same. Um, so we got we watched that for a good portion of 2020. And it got to the point where, like, okay, you know, maybe a little break. <laughs> a little break on something. And then we started doing all the, we, like, we always watch Law & Order, so we oh, ended yeah. up watching uh, Chicago PD uh, and it's the same world so we jumped in the fire we finished PD on like I think Sunday night so then Monday yeah, we jumped like in the fire three that are connected right it's like yep. the PD the fire and then there's the Chicago Med or whatever it is yes. yeah, okay alright I'm actually I just after years of people hassling me to do it I finally started watching The Wire for the first time uh, I'm like through the first three seasons mm-hmm. and I'm about to start the fourth one it's great I'm very much enjoying it but man is it Heavy, like I needed. I so I'm yeah. also watching Fresh Prince at the same time, so I've, I can like. I've, that's on the bucket list of shows to watch. With Wire um, or Fresh Prince? Wire. Oh. Um, you, I can't give you a good reason why I haven't. It's you just been. It it's weird. Like I, I was. I'm Italian on one side of my family, yep. so I always 
would make the argument that The Sopranos is the single greatest television show of all time. It's not really even a mob show. People are misconstrued what the show is actually about. Yep. And a lot of times when I would read all these lists, you always see these lists, like top shows of all time. It's always like, here's Sopranos, here's The Wire, here's Breaking Bad. And I'd watch the other two. I was like, I gotta do it. And The Wire is... I made this comparison. The Wire is like Radiohead, right? I had heard Radiohead before when I was listening to other music. I knew they existed. Yeah. I heard a couple songs. I was like, yeah, okay, it's fine. It wasn't until I had, like, listened to all of the Radiohead catalog and, like, really sat down and, like, became, like, you had been an older musician. And I was like, you know what? This might be the best music I've ever heard in my life, which is real pretentious, I know. But uh, I feel like The Wire isn't the kind of show that, like, uh, well, you watch the first episode and you're like, yes, I'm in. Yep. It's like, oh, it's kind of it's kind of slow and it's a little, it, it's strange, but I'm captivated. And it's only as you get throughout the, the first couple of seasons, you're like, oh, this is... Yeah. This is deep and intense. Um, my two favorite shows of all time is Sons of Anarchy yep. and The Shield. So those are two that people always pitch at me. Yep. And the Sons of Anarchy one, I've always kind of pushed back at. And people, because I'm like, I'm not interested in the biker thing. And they're like, yep. no, don't don't let that be the thing that stops you from not watching this show. Uh, even my, my Kevin, the co-host of the show, he tells me, it's like he's like, I didn't think it would be for me. It's definitely great. It's Hamlet with Harleys. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like you had just mentioned about The Wire. It's... I started watching it because one of the guys that was on The Shield behind the scenes, one of mm-hmm. the producers, directors, was uh, Kurt Sutter. He was a guy behind um, Sons of Anarchy. So I'm like, cool. I'll, watch, this. I'll yeah. watch, give it a shot. And two episodes in, I'm like, eh, I don't really know. I'm like, you know what? This, I have nothing else yeah. going on yeah. back in whenever the heck it aired. And then three, four, and next thing I know, I'm like, crap, is it Wednesday? I got to watch the next friggin' episode. <laughs> and my put up there with the West Wing 2, which I put in top three. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have gone back and like, hey, you want to binge Sons of Anarchy again? And like, I think we binge West Wing once a year, no matter how many times we've watched yeah, it. Yeah. Sopranos was like that for me for a while. I'm actually on a kick right now where I'm going back and watching shows that I kind of didn't like. Mm-hmm. Like, I am I started rewatching like Boardwalk Empire, which yeah. at the time I kind of liked, and I watched like, the last few episodes of like the second season yesterday, and I was like, yeah, I don't get it. I was like, I don't know why this didn't work. It feels like it should have worked, and it didn't work. Westworld was kind of the same way, speaking yeah. of the Ed Harris Project. I watched the first season of that. I was like, this is really good. And then as I got more, I was like, I, they lost me. I don't know what happened here. It got too intense. My wife and I cut the cord for cable uh, yeah. about two years ago. Smart. And now it seems like with all the streaming services, and if you want to watch that one show you watched on CBS, you have to get their platform because it's not available anywhere else. Yeah. It's all, it might as well just get yeah. cable again. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so basically we're paying about the same amount, but yeah. you get all the old shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got like movies and TV shows. That we're working from home still at the yeah. OD. And so I would have... Do you know yeah. when you guys are thinking about going back or unsure? It's uh, still up in the air. Yeah. Uh, I love working from home. I'm not going to complain if I get to sure, keep doing sure. it. But... Um, if you've ever been in a newsroom or maybe even with a podcast, it's always there's a, there's an ambient level of background noise no matter what you're doing. Someone's That's on correct. the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this guy's working on a house next door. All yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you, so you get used to it. And if it's quiet, you're like yeah. like you're nervous. Yeah. So um, I'll put on I've got the TV in my office. Yeah. So, you know, I throw on something. Mm-hmm. So like I started watch binge watching, so to say, like in between work mm-hmm. and. Just for background noise, there's various shows that I... Oh, I haven't watched this show in like 10 years. Yeah. Does it does it hold up? Is it, is it still as good as I thought it was? You know, so it's been that way. Uh, 
Ed, this was a great pleasure. I have one last question for you. Sure. And it's a shame because I've, we've already gone like way longer than I planned on going. And we haven't even gotten the fact that you're wearing a Mets hat in my house. And we haven't discussed baseball at all at a, being a Mets fan. We can talk about that later. But one last lightning round question for you, Ed. Sure. Uh, besides, uh, besides journalism, besides reporting, besides being part of the community, uh, what's one more thing that you, Ed Harris, are passionate about that you'd like to share with our viewers, our listeners? I go with the gym. I'm a... I love going to the gym. Mm. It's helped me immensely, uh, mentally. Yeah. Uh, mentally. I uh, just made up a new <laughs> word. <laughs> Got a little tongue-tied there. I was going to put mentally and physically yeah. in a sentence, but I put them together as one word. Um, it's a huge thing of mine. I worked out during the pandemic. I made a little home gym mm-hmm. that I did. Uh, the gym I go to in Herkimer ended up being 24-hour. Nice. So back when they were allowed to reopen, I would go at like 10, 11, midnight, just so there was less people there to worry about, you know, the spread of COVID. And just, it ended up being like my, uh, like therapy. Yeah, you know, I hear that. You have a bad day at work, you have an argument with the wife, or, you know, life just sucks for a pick a reason. You can just yeah. let it out in the gym and come out and you feel fine. It's so funny, for years I was always so anti. I used to work cross-country, I used to do stuff like that. I played sports mm-hmm. in high school, but poorly, I wasn't very good. Uh, but I knew that I needed to do something, because I was like, I, I, am, I eat too much and I'm lazy. I would get, it just, <laughs> it'll happen really poorly, really quickly. Uh, so if only in the last like three months have I ever, if I really committed for the first time in my life, like I'm going like four days a week to at nice. least do 40 minutes of cardio and something, just something, because I can't do nothing. And nice. I will say that I, I haven't like... I used to talk about this with runners. People like, you get a runner's high? I'm like, that's not real. No runners love to run. It's, it sucks no matter what you do. It's just you, you do it, right? I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. I haven't gotten to the point where I like love the actual act of being there. I'm always like miserable and sweaty. But I always do feel better about myself when I'm done than mm-hmm. I do if I just sat home and talked myself out of going into it. So I feel like that's the start, right? I'm, start, I'm working my way there. <laughs> It's gonna happen one day. You're not gonna remember. You're not gonna like yeah. get why. You're not gonna remember the exact specifics, yeah. but you're gonna be sitting there just finishing your run, or like halfway through, you're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And then you're like, little voice around, like, let's go another, you know, quarter mile or something. And then and you yeah. start going, and you're just like, hey, I did that. And you're like, I'm gonna keep going, and it, or like you just finish a set or something, and it's like. Wow, this is great. Much like anything else, I have to like lie to myself. I have to be like, uh, I can't lift weights, but I will go kick a soccer ball around for 45 minutes. If I can lie and pretend that it's not working out, I'll be better off for myself. <laughs> uh, you can follow Ed Harris at Twitter at ED underscore E Harris. I'm sorry, OD underscore E Harris. I'll make, uh, I'll link everything I can. Uh, thank, thank you for you. spending time with us today. We really do appreciate you uh, spending time. And uh, sorry about how long we kept you. <laughs> Not a problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, hope I didn't suck too much. No, you're great. Go enjoy your vacation, please. I'm going to waste the moment. Sounds great. We'll be back to the show in just a moment. One of the times he's a, reporters are always good in the interview. They're pros. They're you know? talkers. Also, you gotta. I think if you are in the media field in general, I, I mean, I kind of say that in air quotes for myself, not for mm-hmm. him. Do you know what I mean? Uh, 
you just kind of have to be able to chat people up. It's part of the job, right? You got to ask questions. You got to be observant. You got to pay attention. You got to be able to pay attention to how people respond to things, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of his skill as a reporter, like being able to get questions and answer questions and keep the conversation going, you know? So great, great times with Ed. Let's uh, let's do some history lessons. I have two history lessons, and then maybe the most fun year we've ever done in our time warp. When I looked at the results. Oh, cool. All right, so let's do this one real quick. On this day, eighteen ninety six, uh, gold was discovered in the Yukon. Hoping to cash in on reported gold strikes in Alaska, George Carmack traveled there from California in eighteen eighty one. Eighteen ninety six, another prospector, Robert Henderson, told Carmack of finding gold in a tributary of the Klondike River. He headed to that region with two Native American compatriots, Skokum Jim and Tagish Charlie, on August 16th while camping near Rabbit Creek. Carmack reportedly sparted a nugget of gold jutting out from the creek bed. However, his two companions later agreed that it was Skokum Jim, not Carmack, who actually made the discovery. But what a surprise. Regardless of who spotted the gold, they staked their claim the following day. News of the gold strike spread fast across Canada and the U.S. and over the next two years, upwards of 50,000 people uh, arrived in the region as would-be miners. Rabbit Creek was renamed Bonanza. Even more gold was discovered in another uh, Klondike tributary dubbed El Dorado. Klondike fever reached its height in mid-July 1897 when two sheams, uh, steamships arrived from the Yukon in San Francisco and Seattle, bringing a total of more than two tons of gold. Thousands of eager young men brought uh, bought elaborate Yukon outfits, which were uh, kits assembled by marketers uh, containing food, clothing, tools, and other equipment, like very savvy on their part, and sent out uh, on their way north. Few of them would find what they were looking for, as most of the land had already been claimed by the time the people had made their way to the west. Uh, one of those unsuccessful gold, gold seekers was the 21-year-old author Jack London, whose short stories based on his experiences became his first book, The Son of the Wolf, in 1900. For his part, Carmack became rich off his discovery, leaving the Yukon with $1 million worth of gold, and large-scale mining in the Yukon didn't end until 1966. By this time, the region had yielded more than $250 million in gold. Today, some 200 small gold mines still operate in the region. I guess I don't understand, like, today, if we, like, went out front of our house, and I dug a hole in the ground and found gold, Mm -hmm. what would we do with it? Do have to go to, like, a... You don't go to a pawn shop, certainly. You go to like a gold, like a mineral place. What do you do? Uh, yeah, I mean, depending depending what you find and how much you find, but yeah, I mean, you could take it. It, you, it gets into property rights where you find it and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Because yeah, this is our a, landlord's because gold. this is a rental that would not be That's your right. gold. That's a good um, point. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, you would take it to. I mean, anybody who specializes in any kind of mineral stuff like that who can tell you what you have. But honestly, somebody if you had no idea what to do, and I guess Google wasn't a thing. Somebody at the pawn shop could probably point you in the right direction. You know what I mean? Like you could probably go in there and they'd be like, "Oh, I know, I know somebody who you can like take this to to figure out what you got." Listen, I read the Pearl by John Steinbeck. I know what happens when you bring that item into someone and they're like, "Oh, this is fool's gold. It's only worth a dollar for you." You don't bring the item. <laughs> no, I- you don't bring the item. You go. You talk to him about the item. You don't bring the item. You uh, never. You never. You don't bring the stash to get the bag. You can't have them both in the same spot, same time. You know what out, I mean? Shout out to the Pearl. Great story. Shout out to John Steinbeck. <laughs> John Steinbeck. John Steinbeck. Uh, a lot of on, hits. On this day, 1948, uh, Babe Ruth, one of the most popular baseball players of all time, passed away. Uh, Ruth, with his colorful personality and unmistakable physical presence, began his career in Baltimore in 1914 before being traded to the Boston Red Sox. In 1919, he was sold to the Yankees, where he played outfield to better exploit his phenomenal hitting talents. 
Uh, at a time when baseball was suffering through the disgrace of the 1918 Black Sox scandal, Babe Ruth almost single-handedly salvaged the sport's popularity, hitting a record 60 home runs in the 1927 season and leading the Yankees to seven pennants. Yankee Stadium, which opened in 1923, came to be known as the house that Ruth built. Uh, Ruth would meet his wife, Helen Woodford, in a coffee shop in Boston when she was a waitress, and they were married as teenagers on October 17, 1914. However, they separated around 1925, reportedly, due to his repeated infidelities and neglect. Although Ruth was married throughout most of his baseball career, his team co-owner, a man named Cap Houston, asked him once to tone down his lifestyle. The player responded, I promise I'll go easier on drinking, and I'll get to bed earlier, but not for you, $50,000 or $250,000 will I give up on women. They're too much fun. Man. Uh, at the end of the 1922 season, he was asked to sign a contract amendment with a morals clause, which caused, uh, which called for Ruth to abstain entirely from the use of intoxicating liquors and not to stay up later than 1 a.m. during the training and playing season without permission from the manager. It must have been a fun phone call. Hey, it's the babe. I'm staying up past one. I gotta go by. Click hang up. Like, what are you gonna say to babe? Uh, that being said, Babe also made headlines for his many charitable actions. As a former uh, orphan, he gave back to many uh, children's organizations in New York City and around Yankee Stadium, as well as visiting sick kids regularly in the hospital through his end of his life. In 1935, he retired from baseball, having hit a record 714 home runs in his career. He was diagnosed with throat cancer in 1946, made his last appearance at Yankee Stadium on June 13, 1948, and in August that year, he died of cancer at the age of 53. Uh, I do appreciate the era of baseball when these guys were like, I'm going to smoke 15 cigars and eat 12 steaks and just stay out till 1 in the morning and then go out and hit dingers. Mm -hmm. Because I'm that guy. I'm that dude. Babe Ruth. He's such a fascinating athlete. Like, I don't, I'm not here to discuss his morals about women and drinking and carousing. Like, that. you, you do whatever you want, bud. But uh, what a character. Like, mm -hmm. gotta be... Gotta be the most important athlete of that of the time frame, right? Like, gotta be yeah, the so single he was the most. The only athlete. Of the time the only athlete. There weren't a lot of athletes. He's still probably the most one of the. If you were making a Mount Rushmore, the most important athletes of all time, he's got to be on there, right? Yeah. Him, Jordan. American athletes. Yeah, him. Yeah, him, Jordan. I would say, or your one, two. Mm -hmm. I don't know who else you would put on that list. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady. I hate to say it, but. You know what I mean? Like, if you're talking about the major sports, he's the most successful football player of all time. Yeah, but being on that Mount Rushmore is not really about successful. Impactful. Yeah, I guess you're yeah. right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so there you go. Those are our two history lessons. Now let's do our time warp. Maybe our favorite time warp I've ever done. August of 1995. The mid-90s, guys. Are you ready? On this day, you could have been driving. To the movie theater to see the number one movie in America. That's right, the 1995 version of Mortal Kombat! That's the best I can do, right? That was the theme song. I almost put that on the theme song mix this week. Based on the video game franchise of the same name, it is the first installment in the Mortal Kombat film series starring. Kerry Hiyuki Tagawa as Shao Kahn, and I don't care who else. The film features a group of humans who participate in the eponymous Mortal Kombat tournament to protect Earth from being conquered by malevolent forces. Its story per, uh, primarily adapts the original 1992 game while also using elements of the game Mortal Kombat 2. Uh, it received mixed reviews from critics who praised the martial arts sequences, atmosphere, and production values, but criticized the performances, script, and toned-down violence from the game. 
Uh, despite the critical response, it was well received by fans of the series and also a commercial success grossing $122 million on an $18 million budget. I was stunned that this was ever the number one movie in America. Really? I mean, I went to the theater to see it. I knew it was big, but I was and like, there's got to be something. You thought you were the only one? No, I thought there must have been something else out that would have been a bigger draw than Mortal Kombat. I mean, it's just, what, one week? I guess one week, yeah, it's true. Yeah. This was followed by the 1997 Superior sequel, Fight Me About It, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, along with the television series, uh, an animated sequel, and uh, a live-action prequel called Conquest from 1998 1999. Mm. There is a follow-up uh, to this that came out in 2021. Kev, we did watch it. You've yeah. seen both Mortal Kombat's. Which did you prefer, the more grounded, serious new one or the goofy, campy 1995 one? I, I miss being a kid, for sure. Um, I watched the, I don't really remember the new one. That's kind of how I feel about you it, know, It think. was just like, sorry, it was something that was like on randomly. Uh, it certainly didn't imprint with me like it did when I was 10. A lot of the charm of this 1995 Mortal Kombat movie can be found in some of the real cheesy bullshit. Like, there's some bad special effects and some pretty corny acting, and it's kind of memorable in that way. Uh, the new one is very competent, and because of it, it feels less memorable. It just feels very like, okay, this mm. was fine. Yeah. Uh, they also didn't have a tournament in the new movie. <laughs> they kind of lied to you. There was no com- There's like no Mortal Kombat tournament. They didn't mm. get there yet. Anyway, I just want to stop here very quickly. This was from an era, 1995, mid-90s, where you saw a lot of R-rated properties that were being marketed toward kids. I'm just going to give you a list of some of these that are also on here. Aliens, Predator, Terminator, Robocop, Rambo, Toxic Avengers. All of these R-rated intense movies were dumbed down to cartoon versions and action figure versions and sold the kids. And we really didn't give a crap. Back then. We were like, yeah, sure, Rambo. Yeah, it's fine. Give me a Rambo action figure. Nobody would care now either. No, I guess not. No, I mean, that's not, that's not like a back then or a now thing. Yeah, if you can sell toys to kids, kid, I guarantee they've got that new Suicide Squad movie's rated R. I guarantee you can buy toys from that yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? The RoboCop one is the one they always think about because, like, there was a RoboCop cartoon and stuff when I was a kid. Yeah, that was, he was my in, like Pepsi commercials. Yeah, but then you go watch the original RoboCop. You're like, this is brutal. Well, we have. <laughs> I mean, that's movie. not. That's we have a long. We have a yeah. long, long history and tradition as a culture. I mean, if you go back and you look at the original Grimm's fairy tale stories. Yeah. That stuff is ble- that stuff certainly R rated, you know what I mean. But we were still like consuming dumbed down version as kids. I read like those kids literary classics of books like Moby Dick and Frankenstein and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. They're definitely R rated, not for kids. Oh yeah. So I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've we've always I think we've always done that. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I just I always find it funny. It's like I had all these things, and then you find out what they're actually based on. Like I had Alien toys, and I was terrified of the Aliens movie. But I was okay with, like, having the cool toys. Toy. Like, yeah, it was a cool toy. There were a lot of cool alien toys. My yeah. cousins all had a lot of alien toys. I had toys. that big queen alien with the wings. It was good shit. Mm. Uh, so after finishing Mortal Kombat and being sufficiently hyped beyond belief, you can get back in your car and drive home, turning on the radio to hear the number one song in America, Waterfalls by TLC. Uh, it was written as for TLC's second album, Crazy Sexy Cool, uh, and the song was released as the third single on the album on May 29th, 1995. Often considered the group's signature song, Waterfalls was an international hit, topping the charts in many different territories. Song spent seven weeks at number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, uh, giving the group their second number one hit. It's also number two song of the year uh, for the Billboard's 1995 year-end charts. Uh, Waterfalls received critical acclaim, earning two Grammy nominations uh, for Record of the Year and Best Pop Performance by a Group or Duo. 
Uh, the song also tackled issues of the illegal drug trade, promiscuity, and HIV and AIDS. Uh, Jarrett E. Nolan of BMG Music noted that Waterfalls was the very first number one song ever to refer to AIDS in one of the verses. Uh, with a million dollar budget, the video was an MTV staple created uh, for giving, credited for giving the single much of his success during the era. Stayed atop MTV's video monitor charts for over a month, making TLC the first act to ever achieve that feat. Uh... This song has been listed by Billboard as number 11 on the 100 Greatest Girl Group Songs of All Time. It's been ranked number 13 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the Past 25 Years. And it was number 8 on VH, uh, VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 1990s. Uh, Kev, what are your thoughts on Waterfalls and TLC in general? Um, I like TLC a lot. I had this album. Uh, when yeah. it was out, I prefer the song Creep off this oh, album, yeah. which was the mm -hmm. first single. Mm -hmm. um, I just that horn line and some different stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, it's tough to deny how colossal this song was when it was out. It's one of those things, TLC, you know, with, with uh, Lisa Lopez in her unfortunate passing away, right? We feel like we would have gotten a lot more TLC. Like, it would have been a, a group that would have continued putting out work for a longer period of time. Like, they, I feel like they were still relevant. When when she passed away, well, they were they had kind of done a bit of a, a comeback, yeah. yeah. We're trying to get back because they didn't have any money. They were broke because yeah. they got like screwed in the recording contract. But yeah, you would think you would think so. Yeah, it was that fan mail album. I think was the one that came out after this. That was like in the middle of the TRL era. I feel like when that was that was popping. Uh, and the number one book in America you can read when you get home from enjoying your movie and your song, uh, Memnock the Devil. By Anne Rice. Casual. <laughs> Casual. Uh, Memnock the Devil is a horror novel by American writer Anne Rice, the fifth in her Vampire Chronicle series following uh, The Tale of the Body Thief. Many of the themes of this novel, and in large part uh, the title, are reborrowed from the 19th century graphic novel Melmoth the Wanderer by Irish author Charles Mertian. Uh, although the novel fits into the storyline of the Vampire Chronicles, the vast majority of it, can, uh, it consists of Memnock's account of cosmology and theology. The novel follows up on previous claims from the prequel that God and the devil are in better terms than most Christians believe. It also represents, uh, reinterprets biblical stories to create a complete history of earth, heaven, and hell that fits neatly with the history of the vampires given in the previous uh, story, The Queen of the Damned. Have you? You're probably. You ever read any of these Anne Rice uh, yeah. vampire books? Yeah, I've read. I've read a handful of them. I didn't know there were thirteen of them in the series. Oh what a yeah, wild she's movie. super. She's super prolific. This feels like a wild book because I'm reading about it. It's like all about all her books. Pretty wild. Oh, yeah. you got to You got to kind of buy in. I've read like Interview with the Vampire. I've read Queen of the Damned. There are a couple of other, like the Vampire. They're all. They're pretty good. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if you're into it, it's cool. Um. They what a smart thing to do to write a book series about this like a mortal vampire. So it could be like, yeah, well, I'm setting this book in the 1400s. Yeah. This book is set mm -hmm. in 1963. This book is That's set in 1722, and it's still your same character. It's kind of a smart mm -hmm. idea because it doesn't run out of stuff. Well, like, yeah. oh, how can I still write about Indiana Jones when he would be 80 mm -hmm. now? You know what I mean? With with the vampire list, that it's like, yeah. well, yeah, it's still just out here. I would have such a hard time writing, like, a scary story. I don't know how to write something like, Ooh, spooky, here is a vampire! Ah! I yeah, I feel like to... if I were to, to compare them to movies, I feel like if I were to write a scary story or a book, it would be a lot more hereditary than The Conjuring. I wrote one story that I tried to write when I was a kid. It was called Ice Fever. It was about this guy who was in the Iditarod, and he got, like, he crashed, and his dogs ran away, and he got stuck in the forest, or sure. in the snow, and he... Started hallucinating and going crazy because he was, like, running out of food and stuff. Sure. And it started off as, like, a horror story. By the end, it turned into, like, a comedy. And I was like, ah, I can't. I can't see. I, I, I gave up halfway through. Uh, all right. Let's do uh, some quick 
some quick news that'll be some fun stuff, and then we'll get in the way out of here. Uh, food news. Kev, I gotta share this with you. I saw this today. This was an article from Reuters. I uh, love this headline. The hard seltzer boom goes flat. Mm -hmm. uh, the hard seltzer boom is losing fizz, according to Boston Beer's uh, uh, second quarter results released Thursday. Uh, net income for seltzer drinks has fallen almost 2% compared to the same quarter last year. Uh, it, a lot of this is claimed that people are oversaturating the market for sure. with the seltzer type for sure, for sure. items. Does this make sense to you? Also, that people are saying are going back out in public and in general, bars are still selling more beers than seltzers. Um, I mean... I get probably if you put them in general, they're probably they probably they yeah. always sell more beer than seltzers. But yeah. like as somebody who you know has been out like playing shows, people mm -hmm. are drinking plenty of white claws. That's the problem. The market's just oversaturated. There's not room for everybody and their mother to. The, you don't. I don't need the Corona seltzer and the Bush Light seltzer and the. the there's only yeah, room for so many. Like White Claw carved out a huge niche. There's a couple other like, people mm -hmm. like the Trulies, a few other ones. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can't. You know, this. I mean, this is a tale as old as time in the beverage industry. Similarly, this week, PepsiCo is launching a new announcement. They are launching Hard Mountain Dew. The company is teaming up with Boston Beer Company on a 5% ABV beverage. Alcoholic Mountain Dew. There's a black cherry flavor, a watermelon flavor, and a classic. Kevin, what do you think about the Hard Mountain Dew? This is what I mean about oversaturation. <laughs> Although, I will say, I'm surprised that no soda company like coke or pepsi did this already and tried to jump on the bandwagon uh that being said if someone was going to do it mountain dew feels like the one you're going to experiment with like coke's not putting out alcohol at coca-cola immediately i feel like they're going to wait to see well, if not someone coca, else... they own so many so many beverage imprints yeah. that they don't need to put it out under the coca-cola name right. it'd be stupid for them to dilute the brand and make a move into that for like the little teeny tiny margin it might bring to you whereas mountain dew feels a little bit more like a brand that you could get away with this well that's just pe i mean it's just pepsi yeah you know. uh, and a quick doomsday report before we get out here today. Uh, this uh, has been making the rounds. All the stories have been out. A 2,000-year-old green jade mask has been found at a pyramid in Mexico. Leave the mask where you found it, Leave guys. Leave the mask. Uh, I've seen a lot of Twitter jokes of Jim Carrey in the mask. Of course. <laughs> um, but yeah. Leave any jade face masks that are over two thousand years. Listen, I'm, I'm so I, I love archaeology and history and all this different stuff. And like when I was a kid, I thought like being an archaeologist would be cool, and I would love to dig through ruins and all this kind of thing. But at this point, we just don't have enough bandwidth to be messing around with tombs and masks and artifacts. I'm not necessarily a superstitious man, but we don't need to be... leave the mask alone. We have already like tempted God's wrath pretty intensely for the last <laughs> couple thousand years. Uh, all right, let's do. Uh, let's do a mailbag question, and we'll do some Spotify stuff, and we'll get out of here. Uh, all right, mailbag question for this week. Uh, this comes from a... Uh, <laughs> this is just an am I old question. Uh, a reader writes in they were annoyed... Or sorry, listener reads in they were annoyed by loud music on the beach. It stopped them from relaxing. Should people be banned from playing loud music when they're at the beach no. in public? no. I've seen. I, I kind of understand what you're talking about. It feels a little old man yells at clouds. Yeah, I I do understand that if I'm chilling on the beach and like someone's blasting a boombox next to me, I might want to move somewhere else yeah. so I can get relaxed. Yeah, but I don't think you can control these kind of things. You just kind of have to go with it. Not at right? all. Not no. Not even remotely. Well, there's a similar question someone was talking about today about like playing golf, uh, playing music on the golf course. That's little. That's that's. It. Those are, I mean, that's apples and pencil sharpies. It's a different question. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. I do play music on the golf course in the cart, and I've gotten dirty looks for it. I, I yeah. I kind of don't care. I'm I not would like, hit a ball towards you. If I was I'm not there. blasting music. I keep it so it fits in the 
car, right? I'm not like putting that at full volume. I like to hear some music when I'm driving the cart. Mm. Uh, but no, I know that's not kosher. People don't care for that. Mm. Uh, but hey, whatever. I'm paid the money. I'm out there golfing. Uh, so there you go. That's it. Uh, no, music should be allowed at the beach. You're just feeling you're just feeling pretty old about yourself. Yeah, I'm able to control what other people do. Like, nah, yeah, move. I, music. The music's disturbing me. I can't relax. This music is on. Uh, I would love to see the person who asked this question and hear the music that was being played. Yes, yeah, true. I'd love to know. Uh, about that. All right. Uh, I don't have my phone in front of me, so I forgot what was on my Spotify list, but I think I remember two of them, so I'll just highlight those two. Number one is a new no effects song called oh. Birmingham off their new album. Uh, I think it's just, self, I forget what the album's called. I think it's called Single Album because it was supposed to be a double album. They didn't finish it, so it's pretty good. And then also I saw something on Twitter today. It was a Spotify-like tweet that was like, shout out your favorite artist who has less than 50,000 likes on spotify mm. right uh so i shouted out of course our good friend zalatan music so go no. check out her i put one of her tracks on there check out zalatan music mm-hmm. uh good stuff those are two of my picks for the week i haven't made any picks i'm not sure what i'm gonna put on there yet uh just give it to me before this like we said disclosure yeah. it's early very early yeah. i'm gonna go to the show in a little bit um but i'll throw some stuff on there and it'll be cool and you will like it so get your headphones yeah. and just you know bang out to the playlist a little bit enjoy Play it on the beach loudly Go play to the beach, the play beach. it loudly. Enjoy your Maybe hard chill out in the golf cart. <laughs> Enjoy your ho- your hard Mountain Dew while you sit on the beach listening to loud. Is music. that we should, we should do that this week? We just make the whole playlist for a playlist for what you would listen to while drinking hard Mountain Dew <laughs> on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should do what I did back in the day with the Famo and the Lookie Pod when the Four Loco thing was happening. Mm. We should do a pod where we drink some of the hard Mountain Dews during the podcast and see how amped up we are by the end. That's fine. Go get some. You want me to get some? I'll go get yeah, some. Sure. We'll do that one of these days. Sure, sure. All right. Shout out to Ed Harris for coming by and joining us this week. Thanks a lot for spending time. Shout out to Heather Wilde. We love you. You're welcome back anytime you want. You can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom. We are on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Uticast.com. We are taking over the web. Sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. This is like my third cup of coffee before noon. This is not a good start to my day. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. And we will see you next week for another episode of the Uticast. Be safe out there, folks, and take care of each other.